Paul says here that the words that he speaks are not 
Lord of hosts. They're not from the heavenly father. They're merely what? He speaking foolishly and folly. And his confidence of boasting. And his own confidence and his boastings. You follow what I'm saying? Now this is what Paul says about his own book. And he has more books in the New Testament than anybody else. Alright, now, what do you want me to read? And it starts off in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, which he wasn't, because he was not counted amongst the twelve. You understand? He appointed himself an apostle. He was not an apostle. Okay? By the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Jesus. Now, if Paul says he was appointed an apostle by the will of God, then why did he say he was called to apostleship by Jesus on the roadside? He said Jesus met him on the roadside and said, Saul, Saul, if he was called by God, then he wasn't called by Jesus. If he was called by Jesus, then he wasn't called by God. Here he says he's called of God because this is his book, remember? So he's writing about himself, but putting somebody else's name on it so people won't know it's him writing about himself. And he says he's called of God when he was really called by himself. He goes on saying that he got life through Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Another good point for Christians while they're making a point. The point is that in this section, make note that separating God from son. You follow that saying? From God the Father, and that's a definite article. And then it says, and Christ, which is the word for Messiah, Jesus, our Lord. Word Lord means rabbi, or rabboni, or Lord, our Lord. So here this person is separating Jesus already from the Godhead. Is that understood? Okay. And these Christians, while they're asking us things to ask, they really put their own foot in their own mouth because they don't know their own scriptures. <laughs> they be just talking. Okay, let's go to three. I thank God whom I serve from my what? Forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Now, who is Paul saying he prayed to here? The Lord Jesus Christ, or is he praying to God here? According to him. To the creator. That's right. Now, is there any mediator between God and man? Turn to Matthew 9.17. Jesus was called a man, son of man. Matthew, let's see what it says. 9.17. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. Man doesn't have the power to do it. Now watch what Paul says, right, in Galatians 3.20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Again, the revelation or the communication is coming between man and God according to Paul himself. And here in the same book of Timothy, Paul is thanking God who he has separated from Jesus. Yet Christians are always thanking Jesus. Without the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I marry. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I do this. Go ahead. Greatly desire to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfriended faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in, my, in thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, Eunice, 
and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He's not doing it, but writing a letter to a person. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So far everything is fine. You're still identifying everything with the heavenly Father. Go ahead. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Now watch what he does here. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Go ahead. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, Jesus came to abolish death in Timothy, and Jesus died on the cross for you in Matthew. Now, <laughs> if Jesus came to eliminate death, then why did he have to die? And he'll say that Jesus died for your sins, right? No. And the Bible doesn't say Jesus died for your sins. Go ahead. Well, unto you I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, and faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which <clears throat> that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, <clears throat> of whom are Polyus and Hermogius, Hermogius. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day and in how many things he ministered unto me at Esos. Thou knowest very well. Nothing here other than a letter being written by Paul, right, in reference to his son, Timothy, to be passed amongst the Romans where the book was revealed. Nothing. What is there to see in it? And if you look at it, this is called a second epistle. The word epistle means letter. There's another but a letter, not a revelation, not a scripture. No specific information in it about anything. There's just one guy writing a letter to somebody else. And they've stuck it in the scriptures as if it's a holy scripture. And you can see it's not directed. It's not from the Heavenly Father. Nothing in it says the Heavenly Father told me to say this. Nothing in it says we have been commanded to do this. This is a person writing a personal letter. Which they then stuck in the Bible to make it fat. Just to make it thicker. So what is the question that they're trying to reach at when they gave it to you? Uh, he was trying to tell me about, um, like, the things that's happening today. He's trying to say that this book has something to do with today? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Look, there's a letter written in the year 65. Like verse 6? Go ahead, verse 6. For of, oh, this, go ahead. for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. Go ahead. But he goes right down in 7 and 8 to tell you what he's talking about. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds retrograde concerning the faith. He's talking about people back in his time, because he said, now these, now these, talking about right there, just that certain people resisted Moses in his time, now these people are resisting Jesus today. Not today in 1988, but today back in the year, way back in the year 65. But it has nothing to do with today whatsoever. Okay. Shukran. So you got to be careful what Christians try to do, because they have no facts. They try to take portions out of the Bible and make it sound like the day without any history. They don't even know when the book was revealed, why it was revealed, where the man was at. They have no knowledge of what's going on around them. And they try to elaborate on stuff, and it leaves people very, very confused and mixed up. And that's what the Christians have been doing since the beginning of time. You got to probe into these people and ask them, you know, try to get inside and ask them, what are they teaching? When did it happen? Who was it revealed to? What was the situation under the revelation? In other words, when was all this stuff happening? And for what reason? That's the main thing. When you get that word epistles, you're just talking about some guys writing letters back and forth to each other. Right? Now, yeah, the first question should be, who was the letter addressed to? Correct? The answer is to Timothy. And that's cleared up in chapter 1, verse 2. Why did he send this letter? He had to encourage certain people to remembrance of the scriptures. And that was in chapter 1, verse 3. It tells you right inside the scripture who they're talking to and why they revealed it. Y'all got to question these people because these people just be making stuff up. They don't know what to do with themselves. They've never had a doctrine like ours come out against them. They're used to people just accepting that fiction. They haven't had people to sit down and listen. Turn to uh, St. John's chapter 18, verse 37. So it can tell us why Jesus came. Because the Christians say Jesus came into the world to die for their sins. Right? Um, According to the scripture, Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but here you're going to find out in John, which was one of the only authentic books in the New Testament other than the book of Revelations, because it's written by the same person. Read what he says. 18.37? Yes. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. Now listen, according to them, this is Jesus now, according to them. To this end was I born. This is the reason why I was born. And for this cause came I into the world. This is the reason why I came into the world. That I should bear witness unto the truth. That he should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now why did Jesus come into the world? Why was Jesus born according to the scripture? To die for somebody's sins or to bear witness to the truth? Bear witness to the truth. So where they get this stuff that Jesus was born in the world to die for their sins? They made it up. It's not in the scripture. These are things they make up. It tells you right here why Jesus came into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Now what they do in the book of St. John, chapter 1, go to it. And this was revealed in the Euphrates. In the beginning was the word. Now this guy, we're safe with. If you hold where you're at, have someone turn to Mark 1.19 to find out if we can trust this John. If he was indeed a disciple of Jesus or not. And when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. Now, Jesus confirms that James and John are two of his disciples that was with him. All right? Mm -hmm. That's important because you won't find that about Paul. 
So now let's see what it says about that, why Jesus came into the world. Because it tells us he came into the world in St. John chapter 18, verse 37, to bear witness of the truth. Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah wal haq min Allah. That's what he came for. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. They say that was Jesus. All things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, higher, and the life was the light, nor in man. The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was? John. Now what book do we read the other part in? John, 1837. Okay, what did he do? The same came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. The light is the truth, correct? No. So now what is he talking about in 1837? Jesus said he came into the world to what? Bear witness of the truth. That I should bear witness unto the truth. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John wasn't the light. He wasn't the truth himself, but sent to bear witness to the truth. That was the true light, which, which lighted every man that cometh into the Jesus world. Jesus came into the world so that light had to light him too. That's the period. See, Christians don't see that's the end of that story. Now we're going to talk about somebody totally different. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. His own was the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the tribe of Judah, not the whole world. Go ahead. But as many as received him. To what them, did he do? To them gave he power to become the sons of Allah, even to them that believed on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Allah. If you want to find out who his own people is, turn to Matthew 12.29, just to make sure. Because when we get further down, he's going to speak about Moses. The Lord came to Moses, but grace and truth came to Jesus. And the part where they put in there, and he beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, which is in the 14th verse of John, when they have it in brackets, which means it wasn't originally in the scriptures. That's what brackets mean. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments here, O Israel, the sustainer of our being, or the Lord thy God is, is one. One God. Simple. Where did they get all this other stuff from? He's talking to who here? Children of Israel. He ain't talking to Gentiles. He's talking to some reverend in uh, Queens or Jersey <laughs> or Bronx. He's talking to the children of Israel because he said, I came to my own. Right there, St. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, they say, see, that means everybody. No, no, no. If I say, I went into my house to talk to my family to try to convince them to do a certain thing, and they didn't, but the ones who did is with me, that means the ones inside that house, not everybody. He said, but as many as did, what? Receive him. That means of the children of Israel, because his disciples were from the tribes of Israel, the ones that did accept him. If you read St. John's chapter 17, the whole chapter, to explain that whole story about his disciples. But here we go on. To them he gave power to become the sons of Allah, even to those who just believed on his name. Simple. He gave them power to become the sons of Allah, even if they just believed on his name. Who else has the power to become the sons of Allah? Matthew 5, 9 tells you one. Matthew 5, 45 tells you another. Luke 3, 38 
John 1, 12, of course, which we just read, Exodus 4, 22, Psalms 2, 7, Psalms 82, 6, Psalms 89, 27. And you can just read on. He has sons and daughters, 2 Corinthians. Turn to Paul and see if he says it. 2 Corinthians 6, 18. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So even Paul believed that everybody was the sons of God. And every woman is a daughter of God. Paul believed it. Nothing new? Okay. I don't understand what they're speaking in tongues. Could you explain? Well, let's go to the Bible. Let's see what they say it is. In Corinthians. This is Paul again, of course. God, Paul really gets around, doesn't he? It should be in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye are Gentiles carried away with these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Now, first of all, concerning this here incident, who is Paul talking to? Is he talking to Jesus' disciples here, or is he talking to Gentiles? Gentiles. Gentiles. Now, step one, let's get that in our mind, because when he starts speaking about tongues, will know who he's talking about. Again, I repeat, Christians have a tendency to jump down in the scriptures before they know who they're talking to. You follow? Go ahead. Now, we know they're not talking to the disciples, but go ahead. Wherefore, I give you, I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God called, called Jesus accursed, and that no, man, that no man can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, this is Paul saying the only thing that made Jesus the Lord is the Holy Ghost. Of course, we know that's not true. The Father said that he'd be Lord of Lords, right? Right. Okay, go ahead. Now, there are diversities of gifts. Now, he's going to speak about different gifts that come from the Spirit. But the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is all the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. But the one is given by the Spirit. Now I was going to tell you different spirits that different men have, different types of gifts from the Spirit. One of them is... One is given by the Spirit of the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And to another, different kinds of tongues. The word diverse means different kinds of tongues, different languages. Certain men are gifted with the ability to speak different languages, not to go jumba, 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 hubba, 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 and then some preacher interpret it. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says that one of the gifts of the Spirit is the ability to speak in Diverse tongues. They usually put that in italic. They usually circle it out or something. Yeah. So people could see that. The men of old church knew that these people were perverting the meaning of this. So they pointed it out. Different kinds of tongues to another what? Interpretation of tongues. Another person is given the power to interpret tongues, to translate different tongues. When they speak of tongues, they're speaking about languages here. Certain people are gifted with the ability to speak Arabic, Hebrew, Aramaic, Spanish, French. People, some people have those gifts, and some can interpret, translate. There are men who can speak the Arabic language, but they cannot translate. They can read off the Bible, but they can't interpret the Hebrew. They don't know what it means. 
So he's speaking about tongues as a gift from the Spirit that affects different people different ways. It has nothing to do with, and I repeat, I said this to you before, it has nothing to do with no spirit snatching your grandmother out in no chair in church and throwing her on the floor and have her go mumbo-jumbo. The Holy Spirit, which is a good spirit, is not going to throw no 60-year-old woman on the floor. He doesn't have to do that. He said he'll put his words in your mouth and you would speak, right? This ain't about snatching you out the chair and breaking your tambourine and throwing you on the floor and having you foam out the mouth. The funny thing about it, the spirits only visit during the course of the Mass. You know what I mean? They come to church, no spirit. They sit down, no spirit. They rev up, do a little singing, a little tambourine smacking. Usually it's next to somebody who's frightened to death anyway. Someone jumps up, slaps them in the face, falls on the ground. The reverend runs over, they stand around and do it all right. And then it's time to go home, they go, Hup! everybody drops it, dust their clothes off, get in the car and go home. <laughs> the spirit leaves. What did Jesus say about that spirit in John? The spirit, when he said that spirit alights on him and will stay with him for forever, ever, John says. That means the person would stay in a state of shock. Otherwise, get to the point. Which part is receiving the spirit? Does it mean the actual shock that knocks you out the seat? Or after the shock has knocked you out the seat that you have good feelings about life? And if that's so, why would you necessarily be knocked out of the seat? You could just been sitting there and got this good feeling about life. What part did Jesus mean would stay with you forever? Because then what happens when a sister in church gets the same thing twice? The following week she gets another spirit? And then... Three months later, she gets another one. Jesus said, when that spirit of light's on you, it will remain with you forever. Don't be visiting and leaving. They made all that stuff up. The tongues in the Bible, as we just read, tells you it's different languages, diverse tongues, different languages. And that's because Jesus spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, certain other Phoenician, Philistine, the Galilean language. Uh, he spoke the Nazarite dialect. He spoke many different verses and was teaching people different ways. And that's why the Bible has so many different words. And sometimes it has Aramaic. When they use Eli, Eli, that's Aramaic. Right? And other times it uses Rabboni, that's Hebrew. And other times, you know, there's many different languages being used throughout the scripture, dialects of the ancient language. And, of course, Allah, Arabic, is always in here. Okay. We now have available another 24 hours of True Light tapes by popular demand. Our master teacher and spiritual guide, Sayyid Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi, has for your listening pleasure and enlightenment a total of 48 hours of True Light tapes, answering all those questions scholars and professors can only get to answer, covering such topics as why use the books of the New Testament, is Allah's name Jehovah, the 200 fallen angels, which Jesus did you follow, and much, much more. Ask your local Ansar representatives, the brothers dressed in white, for copies of the True Light tapes, numbers 1 through 48. If there are no Ansar representatives in your area, call or visit the original tents of Kedar, 717 Witchwick Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11221. Also, ask or write for a listing of the most dynamic books in history. Authored by Sayyid Al-Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. And now, let us return to our broadcast. In the 
four Gospels, it is recorded that Jesus spoke of his death and how he would raise the third day. Since he wasn't crucified, could you explain what he meant by that? Yes, quite simple. In Matthew 24, he also said that when that happened, the temple would fall. If you look in the first book of Matthew 24, and you read that when he speaks about his death and resurrection, he likens it to the temple of Jerusalem and saying that that temple would fall, and there would not be left one stone on temple. However, the year 33 of the Christian calendar, the temple of Jerusalem was still standing. The point I'm trying to make is it's very easy for the four Gospels who were storytellers of incidents about Jesus to believe anything they want. Because remember, up until the day after the so-called crucifixion, they still didn't know what happened to Jesus, so they ran. They wasn't there at the cross. Only Mary and them was at the cross, and Mary was the one who tried to tell them that she saw Jesus at the garden, and he was still alive, and they didn't want to believe her. Correct? we got to realize is that the book of the New Testament, that is the Lord Jesus' book, is a book of revelation, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We often use them in our books just to show people how they contradict themselves. People always ask me if they're wrong, why do you use them? We use them to show you how they contradict themselves. The only book that's called the Injil of Jesus is the last book, the Revelation. That is his book, and it says in the beginning of the book that this is his book. Every one of those Gospels we mentioned are according to the writer, correct? And now, like I said before, Matthews, according to them, is supposed to be according to Matthews, right? Let's go to Matthews 9. And let's read the 9 verse of Matthew 9 and see what happens. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the, at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now this statement is supposed to be in the book of Matthew, correct? Should this be reading, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw me. My name is Matthew, sitting at the receipt desk. This is another man talking about Matthew. Now the Christian is going to have to tell us who wrote this book of Matthew, because it definitely wasn't Matthew. You follow what I'm saying? Because yes. he's not talking about himself. And that will happen in a lot of books. Let's take Luke number one. Let's watch what Luke does here. Luke is going to decide. I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to decide to write the book only because other people are writing it, not because he's divinely inspired. Read Luke number one. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me. It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theopias was... Okay, <laughs> the point is, is, in number three, what did he just say? Did he say that God inspired him to write this, or that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this? No, you know what he just said? It seemed good to me also, being everybody else's writing, being I got all this knowledge that I should write too. Now here's two of these books that we're basing our whole lives on. One man, they say, is Matthew, and it wasn't him writing. And the other man, Luke, just decided to write it himself. Now, Mark is going to tell you everything I wrote, Mark chapter 1, I wrote from the Holy Spirit, from the Scriptures of old. Let's go to Mark 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
as it was written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Point is, as it was written in the prophets, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why do they call it the gospel according to Mark? <laughs> and if this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why isn't this where the book Matthews is at? Matthews is the first book. They should have this. It should be Mark, Matthews, Luke, John. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is the lies are over. We're here now to tell people that we got the truth. We want to know which book is Jesus's. Open the book of Revelation. They're no longer going to fool us no more. Dino Islam is here, the truth, and we're going to shake their walls. What did Jesus say in Revelation chapter 1? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Of who? Of Jesus Christ. Which came from where? Which God gave unto him. Now, that's Jesus's book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. Not Mark, not Luke, not Matthew, and definitely not that insane Paul who was ego-tripping, who's the one who's responsible for all of the poison that's been spread about the Lord Jesus. And when I say the Lord Jesus, Rabbi is what he referred to himself as. Rabbi means Lord or Rabboni or Master. He was a master, a teacher, and a rabbi. Not God. Okay? So it's very difficult for us to take the account of four books. One of the books is a guy who said everybody else was writing books. So shucks, I guess I'd write one too. I know as much as they did. Another guy is saying, I wrote the book, and in the book someone said, and I just saw Gladys walk by, and Gladys said, I'm the one who wrote the book. And this guy's obviously lying. I ain't got to tell you about a book I wrote called Contradictions of the Disciples, how many other mistakes is in there. They don't even know. They got the, the names above the cross wrong. They don't know whether it was Jesus the Messiah, rule of the Jews, or Jesus of Nazareth. They don't know. These people were sleeping most of the time. You know that? When Jesus was in the garden praying, his disciples were asleep. They were hiding. The next day, they said they were in the upper room the next day after the so-called crucifixion, and they point out and say, with the door shut. Now, if they loved Jesus and knew him as the Son of God, they should have been willing to die with him. If I had my hands on God in the flesh, if he died, I'm going with him. I'd be nailed up on the cross next to him. I wouldn't be denying and running and hiding. Those fools denied him when they asked him. What, uh, wasn't you one of his followers? I, 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 I don't even know the man, they said. And did they say, I don't even know the Messiah, or I did not know the Son of God? They said, I don't know the man. They dropped him all the way back down to the beginning. Now, if Jesus was with you, let's be for real. Let's me and you be practical between us, all right? As they say, let's reason together. And all the miracles that you saw that is written in this book that Jesus performed, right? If you were there to see and witness these things, raise Lazarus from the dead, Heal leopards, make the blind see, the deaf hear, cast out demons, open up heavens, walk into heaven, two dead prophets, one dead for 4,000 and one dead 2,000, namely Elijah and Moses appeared to him while you watched him, and then some men come to kill him. Would you let go of his garment? Well, I'd be ready to die with him. I would not let him get away because I don't know what would happen. <laughs> When I'm left behind, I would go with him. You can tell by the story when it comes down to the final hour that those people did not believe Jesus was the son of God. They did not believe he had power over heaven and hell. They did not believe he had the power to come back. Otherwise, Thomas would not have doubted it. If Jesus taught them, why did Thomas doubt him? If they believed in the resurrection of Jesus, that he was going to come back, how come they didn't believe him when he came back? He walked in the upper room. They got scared, the Bible said. It's not like angels were not coming or spirits were not coming before. Angel came to Mary and scared her. Angel came to Elizabeth and scared her. 
It wasn't like they were not used to spirits, but he said, I am not a spirit. Touch me and see that I am not a spirit. I'm a man. Give me some meat, he said. You mean tell me Jesus resided in heaven for three days? The first thing you can think about is coming back and eating a dead carcass? Let's be for real. Only thing you can think about is some flesh. He's God and he's eating the animals he created. Somebody told a big, big, no, here's what they call it. They call it the greatest story ever told. And that's exactly what it was. The greatest story ever told. But the army Elijah Muhammad loosened the knot and I am untying it. And they'll never bring us down again. Okay? Yes. The peace and blessings of the Most High God be with you. I was in Washington Square Park yesterday, and a man came up to me and said, the six-pointed star is symbolic of upper and lower Egypt. And at David being crowned king of Israel, Melchizedek brought the star to David as a gift, and in that day did it become the Star of David. My question is, is this true, and what do the Star of David mean to this movement or your organization? Let me address that if I can. Sure. Firstly and foremost, people have a tendency to do a very bad thing, not you. That is, to make statements from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without backing up our scripture. And I've been teaching y'all for years. Whenever someone comes up and says, this incident happened, and it uses biblical names, uses scriptural names, Allah, or Allah's names, or Elohim, or Yahweh, or whatever, ask them, like the Quran says, show and prove it. Show me somewhere in the Torah, five books of Moshe, or Musa, alayhi salam, show me somewhere where this Moses wrote this here incident in them five books where Melchizedek came to David when he was being anointed king and gave him the star. They won't find it. People just like to make things up. It is our problem, because as years go on, whether this fellow is going around, he's instituting his thought probably on an authoritative state, as if he knows what he's talking about. And the young might believe him, and then they go on and they say something, you know, like, and this has happened in history, like the six point star represents upper and lower Egypt. When you combine two pyramids together, you can give it a billion different meanings. <laughs> you know, or two circles together, you can say one is the inner world, and one you can just go all anywhere. But when it comes down to showing and proving it, you follow? Now, the depth of the symbol of the seal of the ever-living, and they use the word God, which is the wrong word to use, because we're not Germans, so we shouldn't use the word God, we should use the word Allah. But for speaking to people who have been influenced by that language, we'll use it, okay? In the scriptures, they give a total description of the symbol of the six-pointed star and crescent. It tells you in the books of Revelations about a woman, number 12 that is, yeah. they explain, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven. All right? A wonder appeared in heaven. This is John, who's receiving this on the Isles of Patmos while incarcerated in the year 96, 96 years after the birth of Asa al Messiah. And he's telling them about something he sees. He says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. All right? And the moon, or the crescent, is what they would have in the scripture, Hilal. The crescent was under her feet. Okay? And upon her head was a crown of 12 stars. Now, being we're talking to an Israelite 
they're supposed to be describing the mother of Asa, which is Miriam, Mary, and they followed the ancient Judea teaching, then the star that they say crowned her would have to have been, as you call it, Mogan Devat, the star of David, the six-pointed star. Okay? So when we look in this first and second verse, we're actually seeing mention of a woman with a crescent and 12 stars, which symbolize a six-pointed star. In this instance, they're talking about 12 tribes. Okay? They later on will explain that in the scripture, that out of her came 12 tribes because Jesus was supposed to be of the line of Judah, which is also another mistake they made because they said that he would come out of Judah, yet he came out of the Holy Spirit. So we can go into that at another time. So in this section here, they actually identify the crescent and the star of David as being together. And this is after all of Israel fell out of grace and after the Messiah was supposed to have come because we're way down to the 12th chapter. The next thing that happens after that is the Antichrist. That's the 13th chapter of Revelation. The next thing to come after this statement about the gathering is the Antichrist. And this is a description. And what's interesting about this is that this description in the book of Revelation here about the birth of Asa and Maryam does not match the book of Matthew. You see, Matthew gets his idea of how Jesus was born and how he was in a manger. Yet when you read the book of Revelation, the description of how Jesus was born here matches the Holy Quran to the letter. That she took off to an eastern place under a tree and did conceive, and Allah provided for her. The Quran explains it that way. Revelation, because this is the only book in the New Testament that is really Isa and Maryam's book. The Injil is really the book of Revelation. All the other books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are books according to, like it says, the Gospel of Luke according to Luke. These are not holy scriptures. These are hadith. You understand the difference? The only book of the New Testament that was attributed to Isa and Maryam was the book of Revelation. That's called al Injil in the Quran, the Evangel, the words of an angel. Okay? So when you find the story in Revelation matches the Holy Quran, you see the likeness between the two, the Prophet Muhammad and the Prophet Isa and Maryam, who Jesus called as his comforter would come after him. So our symbol is here. We use the symbol because it's called in the scripture the seal of the ever living. And it is a combination of all the sons that came out of Nabi Ibrahim, alayhi salatu wasalam, which came out of the prophet Abraham. Because our conflict in our family started after Abraham. When Abraham or Ibrahim's two sons, Ishaq, right, and Ismail were separated. And Ismail went to Paran, Barashiba, which became known as Mecca, and his mother, Hajar, an Egyptian, picked another Egyptian wife, and through that seed, Rasulullah Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, came. And the other son, Isaac, had twins, one called Yaqub, and the other called Esau, or Al, Jacob and Esau, and Esau became the father of the Edomite, which means Edom, means red race. And Jacob wrestled with an angel and had his name changed to Israel, to ascend into heaven or to verse heaven. And became the father of 12 sons and one daughter, which became known as the 
Israelites of which Jesus came from. You see, so when you raise the six-pointed star and crescent, you're going over the ignorance before the covenant. You're going back to the initial covenant, which was two covenants, promise and flesh, in Genesis, with Abraham's seed. When you wear the six-pointed star and crescent, you're saying, I recognize myself as Abraham's seed, being an heir to both the covenants. I am Israel, and I am Ishmael. I am both Sons. It's the same family. You're going beyond the ignorance of the white man and how he made us think that there was a difference in the family. And the Quran supports that constantly, especially in the second chapter, 130, when it tells Muslims anyone who forsakes the Mila of Ibrahim makes a fool of himself. The Quran constantly tells Muslims to follow the religion of Abraham, but along came demons in the form of humans and have Muslims follow the religion of Muhammad. They made up a new religion, and they based it on the Hadith, and they left the Quran. The same way the children of Israel came up with a new religion called Judaism, and they based it on the Talmud and the Mishnah, and left the five books of Moses. You see what I'm saying? And the same thing happened with Jesus, the Messiah, who was also following Hebrew teaching the religion. He said, I am of Abraham. He told them that. If you knew Abraham, you would know I was coming. Right? And they left his teaching and formed a new religion. Pentecostal or Protestants or Episcopalians by leaving the teachings of Jesus and starting to read the books or hadith of his companions. You see what I'm saying? So the symbol, six-pointed star and crescent, really means that you recognize that the original covenant that the Heavenly Father, Elohim, or Allah al-Rahim, made with man through Ibrahim, who became the imam of all the Muslims and who named us Muslims, be you so-called Israelite or so-called Ishmaelite, both of you are Muslims, but what the word Muslim means, one who is of peace. And all of Jesus' followers are Muslims because he said, blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall be called the children of God, as translators put it. You see what I'm saying? So the symbol really represents the prophet Abraham covenant. The crescent is one covenant, and the star is another covenant. The six points represent the six prophets, major prophets, that came before Muhammad. And if you start with them, you see for Israel they're one, and for Ishmael is another. The first is whom? Adam. Correct? The next one we know as Nuh, or as Noah. Right? The next one, the, the third one is whom? Abraham. Correct? The fourth one, if it's Israel, it's Isaac, and if it's Ishmael, it's Ishmael. Okay? The one side of the family uses Ishmael for that for representative, and the other side uses where the split came in. So it's Ishmael in this case. And then after Ishmael, we come to the fifth prophet, who is who? Moses. Correct? That's the next time. And finally, the sixth prophet of the house of Israel, Jesus. Correct? And of course, that ends the six points on the star, because that's the covenant that was made with them. Now, the next one is the crescent. Because the woman is standing in the crescent. Her foundation is in the crescent, in Abraham. You see that? And that crescent in the bottom symbolizes Muhammad, which is the prophet that would come as a comforter, fill of the Holy Spirit, after Jesus, alayhi salatu wasalam. So our symbol symbolizes the family of Abraham are coming together again. Whether we call ourselves Israelites, Hebrews, or Hebrew Israelites, or black Jews, or we call ourselves Sunni, or Shia, or Ahmadi, or Wahhabi, or Baha'i, we are Abraham's 
seed, the black seed, the pure seed, and we've got to come together. Okay? I hope I helped you. My question is, if the um, all right, if the Israelites were to separate themselves from the Canaanites, is that true? That, they were commanded to do that, yes. Okay. Now, my, my question is, why was Simon, I'm talking about not Simon that later became Peter, but Simon the, the Canaanite. Canaanite, yes. Why, why was he amongst the disciples? Because he was from the province called Canaan. He was not a Canaanite. All of Jesus' disciples were indeed uh, Israelites of different tribes of Israel. But he was from, you see that, Canaan, so he was called a Canaanite. The way Jesus was called a Nazarite, even though he was from the tribe of Judah, he wasn't a Nazarite. So they called him Jesus of Nazareth. Canaan was not a Canaanite, but a portion of Jerusalem had fallen to the Canaanites centuries before, back in Moses' time, which we find in the books of Leviticus, chapter 14 and 13, where they say, when you go into the land of Canaan, I'll give you for a possession. That was the land of Jerusalem. So he was living in the land of Canaan. None of Jesus' disciples were Canaanites. In fact, in the book of Matthew, Jesus wouldn't even heal a Canaanite woman. He wouldn't touch her. Her faith is what healed her in Matthew 15. 15, 22. Let's see what happens here. The Messiah does this. And Jesus went, sent, and departed into the coast of Thai and Sidon. Now, Thai and Sidon are both tribes of Amorites of the 11 sons of the cursed seed of Canaan. All right? Mm -hmm. Sidon was one of those 11 sons. So that place where Jesus is going is one of those cities that was ruled by Amorites. All right? Which were the cursed seed according to the Bible. All right? Now here's what happened. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. A woman from the tribe of Canaan came out of Sidon. Sidon, again, was white people in the Bible. That was 11 sons, which I can show you the complexion and everything, but I'm quite sure you already know. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. In this sense, what they have done in their Greek and their Latin is they've taken away the word it, which means master, and they've given the impression by this capital L that they had the word rabba, which means Sustainer, which is falsely translated as Lord. See, sometimes the Messiah, Asa, is referred to in the scripture as Esayid, when people are trying to be disrespectful to him. And other times, people who respected him call him Rabboni, which was another way of saying rabbi or master in ancient language. In this case, what they did is they played a word game on people in the translation. They didn't point out that this word is Sayid, so she was not really being respectable. She was not approaching him as if he was a rabbi. She was approaching him like Mr. In English, the word Mr. means master. You follow? So first of all, when she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, she was saying, have mercy on me, Mr. As say it is in the language. Thou son of David. She didn't call him the son of God. She identified him with his lineage as a mortal. She was not being respectful. All right? Now watch. Then she says, my daughter is vexed with a devil. My daughter is possessed, is what she's saying, with a devil. She knew that the Messiah had the power to cast out demons. Her daughter was a devil who was now acting like a devil, possessed, as you would have it. Possessed of evil spirits. She needed an exorcist. So this woman came to Jesus for him to exorcise this devil, as you would have it. But he, meaning Jesus, answered her not a word, period. Jesus ignored the woman. 
woman spoke to him, and he did not even respond. And there's a period there. All right, now watch. And his disciples came. That means they wasn't there at first. And besought him. They was looking for Jesus. Saying, what did his disciples tell him to do now? Send her away. Christ after us. They told Jesus to send this woman away. Don't heal her. Don't help her. Because she came to us first. And what? But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His answer was, he was not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't sent to Gentiles. Paul fabricated that whole teaching. Paul is the father of Christianity, not Jesus. Christians quote Paul. They don't quote Christ. Everything Paul said, Paul said, Paul said, Paul said. Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only, which is the tribe of Judah. You have been listening to The True Life, sponsored by the original Tents of Kedar, located at 717 Bushwick Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. You are also invited to attend the Questions and Answers class every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. in the Hall of Knowledge at 548 Park Street in Brooklyn, New York. And now, more profound than ever before, the Panthers of Peace, authored by the master teacher and spiritual guide, Sayyid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi, covering such topics as who's who on the planet Earth, the resurrection, who was noble Drew Ali, who was Jesus' father, who was Marcus Garvey, St. Paul, disciple or deceiver, and much, much more. Also, to aid your spiritual growth, we have a beautifully crafted hand-woven prayer rug designed by Esayid al-Imam Isa al-Hadi al-Mahdi. We also have a large assortment of prayer beads, Nubian and Sufi oils, and incense. The original tents of Kidar would like for you to write or call us and let us know how the true life has changed your life. Remember, above all things, truth is truth.
he is alone and has no body. And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God. And on the Mujahid, the reformer. Which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. And now, the true light, featuring Sayyid Al-Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. My next question relates to the Holy Quran, the way it was revealed. Um, now, from my understanding, it was revealed over a period of uh, 23 years. Is that correct? When, when it was revealed, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, it was written by the men who were, who were uh, with the Prophet Muhammad and not the Prophet himself. So my question is, like, uh, how, how, uh, uh, how, Say, um, faith is the Holy Quran in terms of what's written in it. Like, I um, mean, was it under the supervision of the Prophet himself as far as how it was put together? Like, how the 96th chapter is supposed to, it, it was the first chapter revealed. Um, I mean, the way it was put together, was it um, during his lifetime or after, or you know, just like give me like a little. Uh, but I think we should make a point here because a young man has asked a question. And if, you, if we don't clear up the fact that when you say the Holy Quran is unadulterated or untampered with, you're not talking about the Yusuf Ali, the Mawlana Muhammad Ali, the Medrat Ali, the Pictol, the Rogers. You're not talking about these translations. You're talking about the Quran in the Arabic language in its pure form. You're not even, and bear this in mind, son, you're not even talking about the Quran in Arabic with vowels in it. You're talking about the Quran as Rasulullah Muhammad received it even without the vowels. When man started to put the dot and the vowels in it and moved it from 17 letters to 28 letters, the original alphabet only had 19 letters, 17 and they built up two. And then added, made 28 letters by moving nuxas and places and commas and mudda and shadda. You start to move. Because remember, there's an obvious difference between the words that, for instance, salam and salam. Salam means this and salam means surrender. The only difference is the addition of a shadda on the letter lamb. In Rasulullah Muhammad, alayhi salam time, there was no shadda on that lamb. So oftentimes in the translation where people say submit, the word peace was there. You follow what I'm saying? So to tell anybody in America that when you hold a Quran in your hand, in the translation of it, that you're holding an unadulterated book is to tell a lie. Though we Muslims who follow Sunnah Rasulullah would like to lie to the public, it's easy for us to make the Christians think that their Bible is tampered with, but our translations of the Quran are not tampered with. This would be a lie. If we're Muslims and we're going to tell the truth, we have to tell the total truth. And the truth is that the Quran in Arabic as given to the seal of the Prophet Muhammad is unmixed, undiluted, untampered with, and that can, you can say, on that. 
We cannot do that on anybody's translation. We cannot do that on what Usman gathered. We cannot do that on what Zayed gathered. Because even there's a hadith where Zayed tells them until he collected the last two verses of Surah Al-Tawbah, the whole Quran was not really put together. He said that he had a hard time getting those last two verses because there was only one man's authority on them. And the policy was it had to have at least two to four people. So they just said, well, this man is equivalent to two men. So they added these last two verses, which is the 128th verse and the 129th verse of the ninth surah of the Holy Quran. But Ali, Amir al-Mu'minin, Ali, alayhi salam, told them that they cannot put the tasmiyah on that surah because the tasmiyah was the seal that this surah is from Allah, bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, that it had the seal of Allah on it. Why the ninth surah in the Holy Quran does not have bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim on the beginning of it, because they couldn't seal it, because they were in doubt about the last two verses of it. And this is even in the modern day Quran that you have in Arabic in your hand. If you turn to the ninth chapter and look at the last two verses, you'll find that the letters nun, 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 then they change. And if Muslim scholars are trying to hide the fact, because we would like to say to the world that the book we have, Kitab al Karim, the Quran, has not one error in it, not one mistake in it. It's a full, total word from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we do that and we're talking about the English translation or the Pixel or Yusuf, we are lying. And we do that and we don't mention that we don't mean the tafsir of the Quran, which means we don't mean the little line drawn under the bottom with the explanation. You're telling people that when they hold a Quran in their hand in English with a translation and an explanation by some scholar, that that is unfallible. And oftentimes, hadith are in the commentary, opinions are in the commentary, Bible is in the commentary, scholars' sayings, and like Yusuf Ali, he opens each one of his surahs with his sayings, his own sayings, you know, and this is not infallible. Only the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la mubadili li kalimatu Allah. Nobody can change the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But man, when he translated it, mistranslated. So you don't even have a good translation in English, a fair translation. Muslims are still confused about what words like mu'min mean. What does it really mean? You know, what does, is ahad and wahad the same thing? You know, what is azim and aziz? What's the difference between al-azimu and al-aziz? They say, and with the kabir, or they put the great, the great, the great, all three times. Al-aziz means mighty, al-azim means supreme, but the kabir means magnificent. But the translators mess these things up. They don't even have a proper translation for tasmiyah. Bismillahi ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. They say gracious, and then they say ni'mah means grace in Arabic. Ni'ma for the word na'am for yes means to have someone's grace. But then they'll say rahama means to be gracious or merciful. These are poor translations and it's very damaging to the soul. And so people stand up, especially the Muslims, and face the reality that the English translations of the Quran and its explanations are just as poor as the King James Revised Version, Standard Version, the Catholic Version, all of these different versions of the Bible. Uh, and, and when Muslims start speaking against a Christian about how the Bible is messed up, he better turn around and be honest and speak about the translations of the Quran are also messed up. But there is no word God in Islam. There should be no God in the Quran, therefore. It should be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You follow? So over that period of time, Muslims cannot, son, they cannot tell you that they have an unfallible copy of the Quran. They don't have it. It's just a lie that Muslims perpetrate against the world. We don't have a copy. The Christians had a better Greek translation 
of their New Testament than we have of the Quran. If you ask any Muslim scholar to produce a copy of the original Quran as jotted down by Rasulullah's scribe, we cannot do it. All we have is what a bunch of men put together and say that this is his word, and we have to live by that. But to be truthful and honest, we cannot produce a copy of the Quran that has not been edited by men. You follow? You understand? That's the real truth. Whether Muslims want to accept that or not, whether they want to lie to the world or not. But the Quran, even in its translation, even in the translation, is so beautiful. But that don't mean we have to lie on it. That don't mean we should pretend on it. Tell the world the truth. Truth is true. Muslims do not have the original copy of the Holy Quran. They have with certain men who followed Rasulullah Muhammad, alayhi wasalam, edited, translated, collected, and they said was authentic. So when some Muslim is standing on the street telling you the Bible's tampered with and the Quran is not, tell them if you're reading in English, if you're not reading the Quran in the original language, the Arabic language of Fusha, or one of the seven dialects that it came to Rasulullah in, you got it just much, your book you hold in your hand by Yusuf Ali is just as tampered as the King James Version of the Bible. Truth is truth. And I mean, I'm not liked. The Sunnis can't stand me for one reason and one reason only, because I'm going to tell the truth whether they like me or not. The truth is the truth. No, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. Trying to tell the truth, we do not have an unfallible copy of the Quran. Stop lying to the world. It's a lie. We have men's opinions. Rasulullah Muhammad did not live to see the Quran collected and put his sign of approval on it. They did it after he was gone. And he was the one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent with this message. It was him. Not Usman, not Ali. Not Asim, none of the men. It was Rasulullah Muhammad who we sent. And he did not live when, to see when all of it was finally put together in one text. He did not sit down, you understand what I'm trying to say, and proofread it himself and say, yes, this is what the angel Jibrael, salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, gave to me from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is it. He didn't do that. So what you hold in your hand, you don't know if it's true. You just keep on telling the world it's true, and now you convince yourself that it's true, and so you want to go on and live that lie. You don't know if it's true. And we won't know until Yamat Akhri. The Father, and regardless of what they have written in it. Okay? When we say, This scripture has no doubt in it. We're talking about it as it came to Rasulullah before man got their hands on it. You follow? Because Jesus makes the same statement about the Bible. One jot nor one till shall be removed from the law until the end. But we know for sure that Paul and them added things and changed things. Because the Quran teaches us, the Quran says there is a group from amongst the Jews, not all of them, a certain group of them who altered words from their places. They're talking about the Pharisees who are responsible for creating the Talmud and making new laws other than the laws that Moses sent down. They're not talking about all of Ben Israel. A group from amongst them altered the words of the scripture. And they wrote a new book. And that book is called The Talmud for Money. And they stole it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Um, in Revelation uh, chapter 11, verse 8, I noticed uh, John in this book wrote, and, uh, and I'll read it, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, it's quite obvious to me from the way you have explained it that, he was not, that Jesus was not crucified. But what I would like to know is what Lord... Is he speaking of, and what does, Simple. what city does Sodom and Egypt represent? Simple. I, I explain this almost every week. A, we know this is not Jesus because, one, Jesus was not crucified in Sodom. 
Right. And Jesus was not crucified in Egypt. Correct? So now, according to Christianity, I'm saying, we know he wasn't crucified in any place according to the Quran, sure. but according to Christianity, he wasn't crucified in Egypt or Sodom. Now, what city is symbolic of Egypt and Sodom? I'll tell you what city. Yeah. Babylon. You know why? Why? Because it was two places where the children of Israel were in bondage and two places that Allah brought a wrath upon. The children of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. Remember? Yeah. And the children of Lot's family was trapped in Sodom. And the angels had to come free them. Now, Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, took the children of Israel into captivity and destroyed all the scriptures they had. Mm -hmm. Now, the next thing is, who was crucified? Yeah. If you turn your Bible to Psalms, chapter 22, we refer to it as a Zabor. You all refer to it as Psalms, Psalms. If you go to the 22nd chapter of it and read, what do you get? My God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Uh-huh. What does it sound like? Something that Jesus supposedly said when he was on the cross. Something Jesus is supposed to have said in Matthew 27, verse 46, to be exact. Right. He supposed to have said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you turn to Matthew and read it, you'll see this exact same quote, correct? Correct. Now, who was first? Was David before Jesus? Or Jesus was before David in the physical form. Because you can't crucify a spirit, Jesus says. You can only crucify a body. So don't say Jesus was before David spiritually. Right. We're talking physically. Who was first? David. You're right. David was on earth before Jesus was born. In fact, Jesus oftentimes likened himself to David, the king of kings. David was called the king of Israel, the greatest of all kings. He brought down Goliath with his own sword the way Jesus was supposed to bring down Rome, which is symbolic of a Goliath when they describe him in the Bible as a man-like creature whose body is composed of different elements and he stands tall and this is supposed to represent the new Babylon that a stone not cut with man's hands could bring down. And that little stone was supposed to represent the Messiah, Jesus. But David was crucified also. But why is it in, uh, in like Chronicles and also in the books of Kings when they describe when David died, they make no mention of that, though. Uh, because you're mixing up death and crucifixion. <laughs> you're, you're, you're mixing death and crucifixion. That's why the Quran told us right clear. It said, he was not crucified, nor did they kill him. There's a big difference between a person being crucified and dying. You did not have to die on the cross. Now, if I stick a person in an electric chair, which is a New Day cross, chances are they will die. But they had a variety of ways of, of uh, judgment back then. They didn't always nail a person to the cross. And they have scientists have recently proved that if they did nail you to the cross, unless they stabbed you in the heart, you can live for days on the cross, much more than three days. You follow what I'm saying? If you read the scriptures of... 22 of Psalms, because in 22 of Psalms, David is going to tell you everything that the Christians say happened to Jesus, David is going to say right here. They casted lots for my garments, they pierced me in my hands and my feet, dogs roamed around, the, the whole crucifixion is right here. Christians say this is about, about Jesus. David never wrote about a Jesus. The only prophets to write about the Messiah coming was who? Jeremiah and Daniel. Of course, Isaiah, but he wrote about his son, Emmanuel. But in this text here, 
in the second chapter, let me go, let's go back and confirm something first. Let's go to Psalms 2 first, so we can see how David is referred to as a Messiah, and how they speak about people plotting against him. When they use the word in verse 2, anointed, the word anointed is the Hebrew word meshech, or the Arabic word messiah or the English word Messiah, or the translated from the Greek to the Latin, anointed one. So here when he's speaking about David, and it says, why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the who? The Lord and against his anointed meaning his Messiah. This verse is about David. Now watch what it says. Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away the cords from us. Let's free ourselves from them. This is Israel talking. Read on. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Derision, that's right. They'll be all divided up. Derision, right. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Then Allah is going to drop a wrath on them for some reason. He tells you. Go ahead. Yet have I set my king up on my holy hill over there. Now David is called the king, and he's up on Mount Zion. That holy hill is called Mount Zion, which is nothing but a Greek word that means Jerusalem, the new city of peace, of Salam, peace. You follow that? Uh -huh. So now, not Jesus is up on the mountain. But David is the king on this Mount Zion. Christians act like the only person that's going to ascend to Mount Zion with a righteous following is Christ. But the Bible says that the Lord has placed David up there on Mount Zion first as his king. Is that what we read? Mm -hmm. Let's see what we go on. Read 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Sound like Christianity? We're talking about David here. The Lord has said to David, David, you are my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now the Christians keep saying, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, the Son of God, and God the Son himself, and three in one, and a trinity. And it just gets on and on and on until they totally lose totally, total concept of what they're talking about. And then when you question them, they say, that's about the Holy Spirit. That means the preacher can no longer explain it, so he just takes it on out and says, that's about the Holy Spirit. The Bible here, on the other hand, is telling you that David was a begotten son of the Father. So David, therefore, was a son of Allah. Now, what do we mean by son? Do we mean walad Allah, or do we mean ibn Allah? There is a difference in Arabic. Though Arabs will try to pretend there's no difference, when you speak about the birth of the prophet, they use the word molid. When you speak about a parent who gives birth, it's walid, walid, walid. But when you speak about the word bena, it means to adopt, or to accept, or to build on a relationship. So the word Ibn means an adopted son, or an accepted son, or son who raised himself up to a position to sonship. But if he were to use the word Waladullah, it would mean that Allah gave birth to him. And we know the Quran says, Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim, Qul, Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, lam yalid wa lam yulid, wa lam yakullahu kufu'an ahad. And that means Allah does not conceive any individual. But all men are his sons and daughters. So here David is, is being referred to as a son of Allah or begotten of the father. 
You follow? This does not mean that Allah had sex with anyone and gave birth to him. Or did anybody have sex and give birth to Allah? This is impossible. It means that all men who raise themselves up to a certain stage, the salihin, as the Quran calls them, the perfected ones, they can be called Ibn Allah. You understand? Read on. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. He said the heavenly father told David, if you ask me, I will make you the ruler over all heathen and any part of the earth will belong to you. Right? Now he couldn't take this back and give it to Jesus. He had already promised it to one of his sons, David. Go ahead. Thou shalt break them with a, hot, with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And is not that the description they use throughout the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah about bringing down Babylon? Uh -huh. About bringing down the potter's vessel? His feet is made of clay like a potter's vessel? Same statement. Go ahead. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed. Did he say king or king? King. Why? Because the Messiah, when he comes, he has the power to do what? To anoint people, to make them Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Where Muslims make a mistake is they think that Allah is Lord of the world. And that's not true. Allah is Rabbil Alameen. And that word Rabb means to sustain something, to take care of it, not to serve it. You follow? Rabb means to take care. A housewife is called Rabbat Menzil. A woman who takes care of the house, who sustains the house. Human beings are Lord, a Sayyid. When we say Sayyidina Muhammad, we're saying Lord Muhammad. When the Jews use the word Rabbi, they're using the word Lord or Master or Teacher. You follow that? So here it tells David that the children of Israel become kings. All right, go ahead. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. What son? Whose son? <laughs> talking about the son of Allah. Right. Ibn Allah, not Walad Allah. We're talking about David, who Allah has adopted as his son to represent him as king over Israel on earth. Because Allah is al-Maliku. No man can be al-Maliku. So the only way a man can be called a king is if Allah has adopted him as his acting Malik on earth. And that's not by, like Saudi Arabia and them fools. That's anointing into priesthood. When you, when you say the word Meli Sadek or Mel Chesedek, or as we say in Arabic in the Quran, you say Nabi Khidr, you're saying Malik, the ruler, king. He was anointed in the order of Mel Chesedek, in the order of the king of Sadak. Sadak is, is the word justice or truth in Arabic. He's a king that can be trusted. Not a king that rules men, but a king that rules over the congregation of righteousness. This is what he's saying. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they, all they that put their trust in him. Ain't that one of the Beatitudes from Matthew? Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor spirit. Right. Where they get their Christian doctrine from for real? Where they get their Christ concept for real? Where they get their King of King and Lord of Lords from for real? Where they get my, go back to 22.1. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Where they get that from for real? And if you read on, you see it. Read it, it's not that long. It's not but 31 verses. Let's read together. Uh, this is chapter 3. Chapter 22, oh, 22. of Psalms. Chapter 
2 confirmed that David was the son of Allah, that David was the Messiah, that David was the king on Mount Zion, that David had the power to make kings out of the children of Israel, that David had the power to bring the wrath of Allah down, that David had the ruler of the world and all the heathens, everything that the Christians are trying to give to Jesus, David already had before Christ was born. That's what that chapter 2 psalm proves. And when some Christians say they're talking about Jesus, tell them they're out their mind. As far as they're concerned, every verse in the Bible is talking about Jesus. None of them read Hebrew. Let's go to 22. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why what? Why thou so far from helping me? That's what the word forsaken means. Forsaken means to leave me. Mm -hmm. Now let's go over to, we ain't got to go there physically, stay where you're at, but go over to Matthew 27, 46 mentally. Where Jesus says, my God, my God, what have thou forsaken me? He was supposed to be on the cross, right? right? Now, Christians tell me and you Muslims that Jesus was God and the Son of God, right? right? And that the Spirit of God is the Word that's in Jesus, the breath of life, that they find in St. John chapter 1. They're saying that the Spirit of God was inside Jesus, and this is what made him God and the Son of God, giving the power of three forces, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, which they lie and say are three persons in one. First of all, Jesus was a person because he was a man. Angels are not persons unless they become men. And the Heavenly Father, the Bible says, he is not a man to lie. So the Heavenly Father is never a man. So don't say that the Heavenly Father and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are three persons in one. There's a Heavenly Father, Abbanah, as Jesus said, our Father who art where? In heaven. Not in him, not inside him, not on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, he said. Paul is the person who's trying to make people worship Jesus because Paul was a Pharisee. Jesus was trying to make people worship the Father. But they asked Jesus was the highest of all the commandments. You know what he said? That you serve the Lord thy God and him alone shall you serve. When a man called him master, you know what Jesus said? Call no man master. When a man called him good, he said, call no man good. He said, no one knows the end of the world except the Father. Not the Son, not the Spirit, only the Father. He separated himself from that, from that, from that satanic verses written by humans who tried to take away the glory of Jesus as a Messiah and turn him into a God so that later on in time it could be proven wrong. Little, little, little things prove it wrong. How was Jesus conceived? Well, the Holy Spirit came down and touched Mary and gave her the Holy Ghost. Did that Holy Ghost give her a Y chromosome at the same time? Because as a female, she only had two X chromosomes. A, a Y is necessary. This is a scientific fact we're talking here. Or did our Heavenly Father send the angel with a test tube baby? That's not supposed to be funny. What's funny is that we listened to them lies for 400 years. That's what's funny. And now I'm talking some serious stuff here. Did the angel Gabriel, or the Holy Ghost, whatever angel you call him, did he have with him the wise chromosome necessary for Mary to fertilize and give birth to a son? Because by herself, as a woman, a woman cannot produce a male child by herself. She needs the assistance of a male. Now, if that was a man, it was different. Because a man has an X and Y chromosome, and you can breed from him a female, like from Adam, Allah made Eve. But now when it comes to a woman, a woman cannot breed a man without the help of a man. That's a fact. Is that a fact? Yes. You bet it is. 
So now when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, did he have an X with him and a Y? Because we know as a female, she produces her 33 and one-third, or her 23 of the 46 chromosomes. Where did the male gender come in? Don't try to feed me that. I'm not feeding my son that. I'm not feeding my daughters that. And then they go to school in your universities and you teach them that that same thing you taught me in church was real is an irreality in science and biology class. Now my son is confused. He's as confused from biology as he is in math class. See, in math class, you, you Christians do the same thing to us. You Christian preachers, you, you 10 percenters, as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad calls them. You do the same thing to us. You tell us three does not go into one, not in a division class, but in church, three becomes God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So while I'm in church, it's all right to say three goes into one, but when I get back to math class, I better not write that on a piece of paper, otherwise I fail. Now I'm confused again. The devil's playing tricks with us as a people. He's a master of tricknology, a liar. He has us believing all kind of things that ain't real. The very word welfare, turn it backwards and see what it says the woman has to do to her black man. Say it backwards. That's welfare. Say it backwards. That's what has to happen. In order for you to get on welfare, you got to go down and tell them that your husband deserted you and the kid. He said farewell, goodbye, and walked out. What does that make the black man look like? Well, they never mention that there's more white people on welfare than us. They never tell us that. There's more white criminals than us. Because, see, when a white person commits a crime, the courts have to prove that he did it. Yes? Like get, in case any of y'all don't understand. But when a black person is involved in a crime, like Tawana Brawley, we have to prove that someone did it to us. <laughs> I mean, how can we win? When Getz went to court for shooting some brothers on the train, they had to prove that he didn't shoot them for the reason that we like to believe, meaning that when you got on the train with a gun, you didn't have that gun because you planned on smoking it. You definitely wasn't going to put no hot sauce on it and eat it. You had that gun because you were going to shoot it. So what happened is when some brothers walked up to you, you shot them. Premeditated attempt murder. But the courts had to prove that Getz was not guilty to let him go. Or to give him such a minimum amount of time that they might as well let him go. But when it comes to Tawana, on the other hand, they didn't have to prove that these cops raped her. And don't believe this garbage they're putting on television now about she confessed. That's Balaki. They just got to close this case before the next election, and they're going to make up any lie they can. Don't buy that. This new guy on television is not her boyfriend. Consult the people that deal with her. Stop listening to the white media. Call their semantics in them, call their lawyers, call Reverend Sharpton and them people, and ask them if that her boyfriend. Y'all are so ready to believe anything the white man say, y'all. Some of y'all say, gee, I knew it. I knew why. Because Whitey came on television and said so. Call the brothers and sisters that are fighting the case for her if you want to find out what's happening. Don't go to Whitey. He has to solve it. He has to make her look like a bad person. That makes black women look like sluts. That she went and put herself in a plastic bag and put defecation on her just to hide the fact she spent the night out. Come on, man. Every one of you brothers somewhere along the line and spent the night out. Your mother said be home at 11, and you came home at 1, but you wasn't going to climb in no plastic bag and put no dog food water. Yeah. 
They'd rather go home and get a beating and stay in the house for six months, but get inside a plastic bag, punch myself in the face, and put defecate through on me just to keep on getting one beaten? Beat me, ma. And we as black people are immediately supposed to know when white people say stuff like, you both say, black people don't do stuff like that. Because we know what we do. We don't put our, our parents in old folks' homes. So when they say, this black man deserted his mother in old folks' home, you're supposed to say, no, nah, we don't do stuff like that. They play with words. They got phonetics going. And it may not spell the same, but it sounds the same, so the brain registers the same meaning. Like I said many times ago, history, history, his story, his story. That's our problem. He has never taught us anything about what took place historically. He's only told us what his story was of it. Columbus was an alcoholic homosexual. <laughs> That's the fact. It's in his own writing. And how are you going to discover something like Dick Gregory said that somebody's standing on? How can I go into your apartment, me and my family, and some, and some friends, walk into your apartment, sit on the couch, turn on the television, open the fridge there, take out your chicken, and say, we discovered this. <laughs> and then when you get up mad about it, I take and tell you to get up on the shelf in the closet. And the whole United States Army supports me, and I put you up on a reservation like they did the Indians, and watch you die. Because nobody will come to your aid against the white man. They never do. Nobody will come to Tawana Brawley's aid, not the black race. They stand back and watch television, and they want to see what the white man says. Of course they don't like me. Go ahead, let's go back to the David and Jesus story. It's a, go ahead, let's read it, y'all. Go through it. You're going to find out the story here in 22 of Psalms. If not, go right into 71 of Psalms, and you're going to find a story right here about the crucifixion of Jesus. And this was way before Jesus was even born. Go ahead, read on. This is uh, 22. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lips. They shake their head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. For thou art he. Excuse me a minute. I just want to ask about that part. Remember, they said, Jesus, if you be the Son of God, come down off that cross. Right. Read that part again about him loving the Lord, that the Lord would save him. Go ahead. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You see that? No. Jesus went in the garden, fell on his face. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass by me. The Christians call it deliverance. That's their doctrine, deliverance. And ain't in the New Testament, the word is only here. Talking about David. The people said, why don't your Lord deliver you from this death? Go ahead. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan 
have you set me round. Now this could not be because Basham is nowhere near Galgetha. <laughs> nowhere near the garden with Jesus. This is way up in there, the Jordan River, nowhere near down near Palestine where he was supposed to be crucified. Are the people following you? The verse by verse? Yeah. Verse 13. They gasped upon me with their mouths as a raven and a roaring lion. The people spoke against Jesus. They blasphemed him. They cursed him. This is what David said. They did the same thing to me. I am what? Poured out like water. And all of my bones are out of joint. They broke his leg. They stabbed him in the side. Anybody that's hung on cross, they got to break the leg before they remove the body, the joint. Go ahead. This is, it's law. I mean, Roman law, actually, the Jews was, was imposed upon them. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. These are the signs of a man hanging on a cross, dying. I didn't say dead. Dying. <laughs> and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Right to the door of death. Right, the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Listen to that. What did David just say they did to him? They pierced my hands and my feet. Does that sound like something familiar to you people? No. What does it sound like for people in there that's honest? You better, you better believe it. In story, only this book was revealed in the year 460 B.C.E. Before the Christian era, 460, it was revealed to David, Solomon, and a man named Asaph. That's why some of the verses don't apply to David. And if you read in the beginning of your Bible, it usually tells you who this verse was sent to, the magician, or to Asaph, or by David. All of it is not Solomon's writing. You understand? No. They pierced his hands and his feet. Go ahead. That's number 16. Go to 17. I may sell all my bones. They look and stay upon me. That Christianity, the soldiers looked up at Jesus while he was on the cross and, and taunted him. Yes? Eh? They part my garments among them and cast, the, cast lots upon my vesture. Matthew, again, John 23, 34, John 19, 24, Matthew 27, 35. They cast lots for Jesus' garment. Did they? Yes or no? Um, do y'all people want to know the truth? Or do y'all people want to just believe in this fiction? Is it a crucifixion like Ahmed said, or a crucifixion? You know what I mean? Is it an F-I-X? <laughs> Which is it? Do y'all want to live this lie or you want to read the truth? I'm not giving you mine. I'm letting you read it right out of the Bible. This ain't me. This is the Bible telling you that David was on the cross, that they nailed his hands and his feet. Historians have proven that the man that was crucified in Jesus' time didn't have his hands nailed. He had his wrists nailed. Now that's a fact that the Christians have just made public that the man in Jesus' time, which of course we know is Judas, was made to look like Jesus, had his wrists nailed. That's what the Christians are talking about. This man had his hands and his feet nailed. This man was not Jesus. I know this kind of hurts you, Nobody wants to accept the fact that we've been being lied to for so long and that we like the story because we got gifts on Christmas. But other than that, there wasn't nothing to it. And then that myth that you can't verify until you're dead, 
the myth is, and if you make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, when you die, you go to heaven. That don't give you much chance to correct it, you know. How are you going to verify? Because once you say it, then it's too late to say, I didn't know. Because the scripture says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You have an obligation to learn the word, Jesus says. Right? What he say about faith without works is what? They're in vain. You've got to study to know. Jesus knew the scripture. Why do you think he kept quoting it to everybody? When he said in St. John, did I not say you are God? He was quoting Psalms. He, was, he knew it, but when he told a Christian about this, listen, Psalm 22 is a crucifixion. No, it ain't. No. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus resurrected from the dead for us. I said, wait it, hold it, hold it, wait a minute. Lazarus resurrected before, from the dead before Jesus. Are we going to worship him too? And a little girl resurrected from the dead before Lazarus. Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. Are we going to worship her too? So it ain't about the resurrection because Lazarus and a little girl both were raised before Jesus. So it ain't the resurrection. It ain't the crucifixion because two other men, according to y'all, was on the cross beside him who were thieves. So it ain't nothing about it. We don't worship the crucifixion, so you might as well just pop those little electric chairs off your neck and throw them away. That you call a cross or a crucifixion because it's nothing but an ancient day electric chair. And it wasn't about anything holy because two men beside him on the cross were by far holy. So it ain't the resurrection. It ain't the crucifixion. What do you say it is? His death? Elijah died and came back as John the Baptist, according to Jesus. So it ain't about returning back to life as another prophet or another man, because Elijah did that in this Bible also. It ain't that. Where is it? The miracle? There's not a miracle Jesus performed. I wrote a whole book about it. Then another disciple or another prophet did not perform. He did every, everyone he did, somebody else did. Moses did miracles, and so did the magicians of Egypt. They did miracles too. So miracles don't make you holy. The devil will give you power to perform miracles. Please tell me why it is that we worship Jesus. Because ain't nothing we should. Not even Jesus. The Christians say that the red letters of the Bible, the red letters of the Bible are the word of Jesus. Yes or no? Yes, what do we have the most of in the Bible? Red letters or black? So who we fuck Jesus whoever wrote the Bible. Now, if you tear out all the red letters of the Bible and throw up the black letters, you find out Jesus is a Muslim. <laughs> if you take out all that stuff that Paul and them say and just only read what Jesus says, you won't find anything that goes against the Quran in there. Not one thing. But if you go to Corinthians and Acts and, and this and that, if you take the of Moses called the Torah in the Quran, the first five books, and read those, you won't find anything that goes against Islam. The only when you get outside that and start getting into the books that kings wrote and other prophets wrote, that you start going away from Surah al-Muslim. I'm just telling you all this, I know you don't want to hear the truth because the truth hurts. I, and then on the other hand, I know there's a whole lot of people there who want to hear the truth because they're tired of being lied to. That's all I'm here for. I am not a prophet. I am not the Messiah. You understand? I'm only here to correct mistakes. I'm a teacher, not a preacher. I teach, and I hope you're learning something.
Because all I'm doing is putting down what's written here. I know you don't want to hear it because the Jehovah's Witnesses got more followers than me. That's because they're lighter than I am. And when the white man said, I have, I have brothers and sisters come back to me and say, Imam, Imam, Imam. I say, what? They said, look. I say, yeah. The white man said the same thing you said, man. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to me all the time. They say, man, I look, it's right here in the paper. Now, I said, years ago, AIDS is chemical warfare. Hey, I was saying that years ago. The white man put in the newspaper and said, yo, bruv, I got calls from Texas. Houston, Texas. Imam. It's in the newspaper. It's true. I said the shroud is a fake. I don't know if any of y'all remember when they had that cross in the sky in Queens almost 10 years, maybe longer than that, 15 years ago. I said, oh, that's a fake. A cross. Jesus is going to reveal a cross, huh? It's the same effort it takes to reveal a cross. He can just reveal himself. Why would he send a cross? Why would he send a cross? The same effort to materialize a piece of wood from heaven and the worst part about it is that people really think Jesus took the cross to heaven with him. <laughs> and it tells you in the Bible, according to them, that they took him down off the cross, right? Mm -hmm. So now why are Christians still carrying around their neck the thing they killed him with? Are they trying to remember his suffering? Because in remembering his suffering, you think you will not have to suffer? That's not what the book of Revelation says. The book of Revelation says that if you are mistaught by the Antichrist or one of those false prophets or Satan himself, that you will be cast in a lake of fire with them. And Jesus said, many will come in my name and say they are of me and are not. Many are going to say, did I not perform miracles and heal in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Now, I don't know any Muslims who come in Jesus' name. Ain't none of us saying we are Christians. None of us are doing that. None of us are saying he is God. Only you people who call yourself Christians come in his name and blaspheme and lie about him. But he said he's not God. He said, I am not greater than he who sent me. I am my own accord can do nothing. He has a whole series of things that he says to say that I am nobody but another guy like anybody else. I have a whole list of them. You want to go through a list of things that Jesus says to say, I am just another guy? Huh? Let's look at some of them. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, right? It says, just like a man. Now, this is way back in Genesis. And the Lord came down to see the city, and the tower which the children of men built. Now we're establishing something. This is where they get there. God can come down as a man. You follow that? When they say the Lord in the scripture appear, they're talking about angels. When they speak about the Lord coming down to Sodom and Gomorrah or coming to Abraham, they tell you that those were angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala don't come down as no man. Y'all want everything to be like you. You didn't mess up everything you touch, yet you, you want to make Allah a man so you can mess that up too, huh? Let's look at another one. Exodus 33, 23. What does it say? I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back part, but my face shall not be seen. They say, see, he has a back. 
The Heavenly Father got a back. But you won't see his face. So he must be a man. He sends his angels to do his work. Can angels come as men? Yes, they do. Throughout the Bible tells you, Daniel tells you the angel Gabriel came to him as a man. In the Holy Quran, we know Jibril appeared as Basharan, as a well-made man to Mary. We know in the Hadith, it says Gabriel came and talked with the Prophet Muhammad and his Sahaba, and they didn't recognize who this man was with his black beard and his white jalabiyah. Now, he didn't bring that jalabiyah from heaven with him, because he brought a jalabiyah or a white robe from heaven. That means they got sewing machines up there. That means they're sharing sheep in heaven. That means the sheep got to be afraid of heaven also, because men are taking the clothes off their back to make clothes for themselves in heaven. We got our shame and our blame while here on earth. So when you see your little angel friend and someone says, Jesus appeared to me last night in the spirit, in a dream. She said, well, what did he have on? A long white robe and a red sash. Say, nigga, you lying. They ain't got no sewing machines in heaven. Who made the sash? A false, simple lie. See, you're so busy concentrating on your parents of Christ that you're overlooking the little lie. He had a big light around his head. A halo. If he came from heaven, his whole person would be a halo. You know, people are nuts. <laughs> they have another one. Psalm 78, 65. Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man then shouted by reason of wine. Now the Lord got drunk. He woke up from being drunk and shouted out like a man because he was drunk. Right? This is what y'all Christians believe, huh? Now the Heavenly Father drinks, gets drunk, and wakes up and acts like a boisterous fool. This is what y'all believe. They're talking about Noah. Noah was the Lord then of the new world. The first man after the flood who drunk wine and became drunken and knew what his youngest son Ham had done unto him and called out to the Lord and put a curse on his son. This is not our heavenly father. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. The heavenly father had a broken heart so he must have had a physical heart. First of all, a broken heart does not literally mean that you have a, your heart break. They're talking about the emotion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala felt bad about what his creation had become. Read through the falaq and through the nas of the Quran, you see, from the evil that became of his creation, it says. He regretted it, says. If Allah thought regret, you'd be totally wiped out. He realized that which he created with willpower was using his willpower the wrong way, the same way he did in the garden. You could have everything in the garden, but the tree don't touch it. What did you do? Tell me. You went directly to the tree. You did not pass below. You didn't collect your $200. You went right to the tree and ate and violated the law. That's what he knows about man.
And now, the true light, featuring Al-Sayyid Al-Imam Isa Al-Hadi Al-Mahdi. Okay. okay, it says in your translation of Al-Quran, in the append- this is part one, in the appendix on page 85, under the definition of Injil, that the Injil only consists of the pamphlet of revelation of the Jesus, of Jesus the Messiah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is backed up by the Quran, two chapter 2 verse 4 chapter 2 verse 38 chapter 2 verse 41 chapter 2 verse 87 etc if this is so why do you even use quotes from the new testament and translated it to Arabic and gave a new translation to it. You know what the Christians would say when I try to teach them? That's your Bible. That's not mine. They force you to have to use their King James Version of the Bible because they've been so messed up in the head that if you go away from that, like when the Jehovah's Witness start teaching them, they say right away, that's their Bible. 
And that's what the Christians will say whenever you're talking to them. Let me see if that's in my Bible that way. You follow? So mm -hmm. now, the revelation when talking to Muslims who are mu'minum or mu'minati, the faithful, they should adhere to all the texts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down. And Al-Injil, which was given, the 22 books given to John for Jesus through the angel, are the ones Muslims should adhere to. But when it comes down to his sahaba, then you have Jesus' hadith. Jesus' hadith are the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is the same thing that so-called Sunni Muslims are putting equivalent to Muhammad's hadith when they read about Bukhari, Shafi, Maliki, Muslim, and Talmud. These are writings of men about things that a specific prophet did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote stories about what Jesus did, exchanged letters about their involvement in propagation, and things that they saw him do, or things that he did not object to. And then when they put their books together, when they quoted him verbatim, instead of like in El-Islam, where they took that out and called it the sayings of Muhammad, you see, in the Bible, they just painted it in red and said, these red parts of your Bible are what Jesus said in those books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as recorded by his disciples. And we find that many times those books will differ in numbers of people, in places, in times, and names. But the Injil itself, the book of Revelation, stays factual and precise to the end. You follow what I'm saying? So now when teaching people who have been indoctrinated, if I was in India, in other words, I would use the Bhagavad and the Apanishad to explain to those people how they're being misused by them. You see what I'm saying? And then take them to the book necessary to straighten that up, which was the Bayina, which we know is Al-Quran, in Allah Ta'ala. So what you have to do first is you have to cuddle a baby, breastfeed a baby, then teach him how to hold the bottle. You follow? So what I do is I talk to them through the scriptures that they understand first. The reason why the Sunni Muslims cannot progress at all in this country is because they come on with a Sunni Muslim approach to people who have been Christians all their life. They come on and try to replace Isa ibn Maryam, which they call Jesus Christ, with Muhammad. Right? And therefore your grandmother writes you off as a heathen and says that you're a blasphemous heathen and you're going against the gospel and the baptism you was raised a christian and something wrong with you and you're crazy and you must be the devil that's why the sunnis can't progress because they're not intelligent enough to look at the country they're in to look at the conditions of the people they're in and approach them through their intellect they want to come on and push in sunni muslim islam Slap people in the face with a bunch of hadith written by men that can't even be verified. A bunch of books coming out of Pakistan translated from people who didn't speak Arabic. And a bunch of teachers that come over here looking like what your mother and father see as bums. Men walking around with beards down to the middle of their chest and robes on that are not even white. Purple and brown and green and orange turbans. So when your mother sees this man, you say he's my leader and he came from Pakistan. Your mother sees a bum. She doesn't even see someone in the image of the Bible. So if the people came along and the Muslims, the so-called Sunni, lived by the Sunnah of Rasulullah, wore white robes, and taught the way Rasulullah did, because if you open your Holy Quran to the 10th chapter, to the 94th verse, you'll find that it tells Muhammad to go to the Torah in there. It tells him. Would somebody read that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. But if you are in doubt as to what we have revealed to you, 
Ask those who read the scripture before you. This is talking to Muhammad. They tell Muhammad in the Quran, if you are in doubt about this Quran, if anything that confuses you about this Quran, then you go ask those who receive the scriptures before you. If, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So now my approach is I'm talking to people who are reading a New Testament or an Old Testament. So now I have to be versed in the New Testament and Old Testament, and I have to make all those who intend to go out and teach people who live by those books how to be versed with them instead of approaching these people with a whole new doctrine and trying to paint over their faith, which is impossible to do because Islam does not have the spiritual involvement that Christianity has. Islam lacks in spiritual involvement because it fell out of the hands of the original people and are now in the hands of soulless Amorites calling themselves Arabs who have taken away from black people their music, saying there's no music in Islam, saying there's no dance in Islam, there's no singing in Islam. They took away all the stuff that's natural to us and all the stuff that existed in pure original Islam because if there was no singing in Islam, there would be no Psalms of David. They call the Zabur in the Quran the Psalms of David and that means singing. But these Muslims, who are now white Jews, who have invaded Islam and are controlling the universities and predicting who is a Muslim, have this new ideology on what Islam should be. And they're trying to give it to us African people in a whitewashed way. You know what it's like? It's like one of those white preachers going down south and trying to teach. But he's not going to get the soul people from Augusta, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, the Geechees from up in the deep. <laughs> he ain't going to touch them Creoles. He ain't going to touch nobody with no soul. The only one they're going to get in, sit up in some Lutheran church is someone who wants to be white. You understand what I'm saying? So in the black man today, the same thing applies to Islam. Islam is an African way because Rasulullah Muhammad and all them came out of Africa. Because history proves that the original man was in Africa. Okay? It went into the hands of pale Arabs. They've given it back to y'all, and they give it back to y'all as if it's their religion that you're converting to, that Bilal was just some dark-skinned guy who was walking with a white Arab called Muhammad. They switched it all around. Muhammad was black. Bilal was black. They danced. They sung. They even mentioned it in the hadith that they read that Rasulullah was on his way to an Ansar wedding, and he turned over and asked one of his sahaba, didn't y'all bring the dust, the tambourines? Because you know the Ansar's like music. As soon as you see that, they jump right over that like it don't even exist, like he never even said that, and then turn around and see. The point I'm trying to make by this is if you're going to teach your people, you must understand the people. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, to every people, he sends a warning. Why did he signal out that? Because he knew that everybody on the earth was made into tribes and families, but he said that they ought to know about each other. So he knew there'd be different cultural backgrounds for humanity. And that we should know each other's cultural backgrounds and respect them. But he sent to each one of us a warner. The man on the wall behind you, over your head, is the warner that was sent to you. But unfortunately, look to your right in that room. You see that man on the wall. Unfortunately, the white man had already intervened and had taken you out of Africa and brought you here. You see that? That man, the Mahdi, was sent as y'all's warner and the guy. But you have been taken in slavery and was in the West. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rose me up from amongst you, a warner like you, so I can talk to you the way you understand and bring you back to Sabil Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meanwhile, my greatest battle is against white Arabs who want your souls. They want to teach you a whitewashed form of Islam just to take away the spiritual part, which they can never take from black people. Only black people who want to be beige. You follow? 
So the reason why I use the Bible is because that's the only book that people in America would understand. And I am weaning them back to the truth. And inside the books you read that I put out, you'll find the Old Testament, the New Testament. Then I'll start saying Torah and Injil. And then I'll even talk about books, if you read the beginning of it, that they fabricated and falsified. I'll cover the whole thing because I want my people to know. I'm not coming here with no whitewashed job. I'm not coming here and painting the car without fixing the engine. I'm not going that way. If we're going to rebuild this car, we're going to rebuild this car from the bottom to the top. When the black man steps forth against the world this time, he's going to be informed. He's going to know what he's talking about. And it says that in the scripture. He will make the meek to dumbfound the wise. I don't care what Arab comes from, what university. I'll take a normal brother from Orange, New Jersey. And if he lets me teach him, he'll bring Goliath down like David did. He sits down and lets me teach him and gets him in the doctrine. He can go up against anybody and he'll come out on top in the name of Allah. Because one thing about the Ansar Allah community, and it's obvious by what we're talking about, is our books are saturated with the scriptures. Scripture, 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 scripture. Not Imam Isa, Imam Isa. When you start reading them books by them Pakistanians, you read four pages of their opinion and then one quote. You can very seldom even turn a page in the answer a law publication and don't see a quote. Am I understood? Yeah, correct. We use all the scriptures of Allah, but we do recognize that the book of Revelation is the book given to Jesus only because of the book of Revelation, chapter 1. It says it itself. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and see what it says. And I want to give you another piece of information, you know. For yourself, for that Christian that was talking about Jesus and the crucifixion of Revelation, for the other brother, not for you. No. All right? Because in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, the brother's still there, right? No, he's still there. Chapter 11, if you turn to the eighth verse, you're going to see a, a mistake that they make. The Christians make when they interpret it? something. Go ahead and read it. And their dead bodies, okay, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. <laughs> See, they say their Lord was crucified in Sodom and Egypt. <laughs> now, the, we know that Jesus was not crucified in the city of Sodom, nor was he crucified in Egypt. You follow that? But they give the impression that their Lord, which they refer to as Jesus, was crucified there. And that's not true. This is symbolic of prophets when they say that. Because that was the city of Sodom where Lot's family was and Abraham went. And the city of Egypt where Moses' family was and Moses went. That's the two symbolic meaning because they're talking about the two witnesses prior to that. That was whose bodies would lay in the street which the Christian preachers have not been able to interpret yet. They're still waiting for me to write a book so they can start to talk about it. And I'm going to tease them a little longer. <laughs> okay. So you see that quote there? No. When next time you ask the question, why do y'all say your Lord was crucified in Sodom and Egypt when Matthew says in Galilee? In Galilee. Because they're lying. <laughs> That's why. Want me to read the first chapter of Revelation, the first verse? The point that we were making earlier? Yes. This right. is the revelation right. which? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. You see that? That book points out that that revelation was Jesus' revelation. Now, if you take and go to the book of Luke, chapter 1. 
for as much as many have taken in hand. Take <laughs> for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among among us. Stop for a minute. Here Luke says that for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth the order of declaration of the things which are most surely believed amongst us, he said because certain men are starting to write down the things that we believe, what is he going to do? Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now they told us these things, which the original ones had seen with their eyes and were teaching out of their mouths, but it seems good to me also. Stop. He says, because other guys who saw Jesus from the beginning were writing things down, he decided, he said, well, it seemed good to me to what? Having, okay. having, having perfect. Having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee, thee in order, most excellent, the Orphilus, <laughs> that most mightiest know the certainty of those things wherein thou had has been instructed. If the so-called Christian had any sense at all, he would have long snatched this out of the Bible. Because <laughs> you know what this just said? He just said, because the other disciples wrote, I just felt because I was the smartest one of them all, that I might as well write me a book too. He didn't say nothing about divine inspiration. He didn't say no angel came to him and told him. He didn't say that the heavens opened up and a voice spoke to him. He said, read it again. Just because other people wrote, I decided, why not? I got more understanding than all of them. I might as well write too. And the Christians quote the book. <laughs> read it. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent, the Ophelius, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou had been instructed. And if you look through this book of Luke, the book that he decided to sit down and write himself, you know what you're going to find out? The whole story of Zachariah's birth, the whole story of Jesus' birth, the whole thing about the angel going to Nazareth, the whole thing about the crucifixion, the whole thing about Elizabeth and Mary and how they lived together, and about the priesthood, the whole thing about Jesus' being a trial. You find oh, he made the, he said he sat down and wrote the book himself, and all the things they based their religion on are in this book. The Holy Spirit story, Joseph and Jesus and Jacob, they give the whole line of Jesus' descendants in here. He made another big mistake for them. When you get to the book of Luke chapter 3, all right? Um, Verse 38, what do you read? Which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. See, they made another mistake because they teach that Jesus was the only son of God. And here Luke says that Adam was the son of God. <laughs> See, this guy Luke was just writing from the top of his head. Because if they had any sense, in order to keep that thing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, they would have snatched this out or one of them was added in later. And I more than likely would not believe it's this because this is a family chart. The one added in would have to have been the other one. You understand what I'm saying? They give you a whole family line and there they call 
Adam, the son of God. But the Christians say Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. Luke just said Adam, the son of God, which they said Adam, which is the son of God. How do they explain that kind of stuff? They don't. Because y'all will not go to them and ask the questions. That's why I'm here. Present y'all with the information so y'all can go and ask the questions. When you see that spirit, test it to see whether it is of Allah or not. For many false prophets have gone into the world. You understand? One know if they receive the mark of the seven seals. You mean the mark of the beast? Mark of the beast. The mark of the beast in Revelation. Is that what they're talking about, or the mark that um, you would receive if you have been chosen as one of the Okay, the righteous. The righteous. Okay, because there are two seals. I would like you to explain both. All right, the mark of the beast, as mentioned in Revelations chapter 13, tells you what it is. It tells you that it's money. Literally, it says, "Because you'll buy nor sell," and it tells you that. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, that it's a computer. It tells you, starting at 17, it says, And that no man may buy nor sell, save he that has the mark or the name. So you either have a credit card or you have cash. You follow? Either you buy through your name or you buy through money. Money exchanges through the hand. That's why they say it's a mark on the hand. Mm-hmm. The credit card has the number on it. All right? Okay. Now it goes on to say, or the number of the name, which means they substitute your name by your number. When you go to buy something with a credit card, they don't ask you your name. They ask you for your card. They take the number. They call the number in. Then they say you sign your name to verify that this is your number. So you exchange your name for a number with all your welfare cards, credit cards, working cards, your alumni card for going back to the university, etc. Then it goes on 18 and says, this is the hikmah. This is the wisdom Allah says. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. Keep up with him. Calculate him. For it is the number of a man. See, they're not telling you this is the number of the devil. No, no, no. They're saying this is the number of a man. A human being is going to be the one who prompts this. Okay? And what does it say? And his number is. 603 scores and 6666. So he's not going to incarnate as a demon or a beast. He's going to come to the earth as a man, the devil. And there will be people who's going to be living in his image, it says, emulating him. We watch people who got jerry curls and they're putting on fake nails and, you know, and they're doing the same thing to emulate the white man, okay? The other mark is that you have the name of the Father, Allah says, written on you. Now, the mark of the beast on you, as the hadith taught us, was the letter calf. Rasulullah said that. And the letter calf symbolized the word kafirun, those disbelievers or those who conceal the truth. And he said that you know the jealous people, the Messiah of the Jala, the Antichrist, some of his followers would convert to that. When we look at Saudi, Sudan, Egypt, we're watching people who were once Strict Muslims following the Sunnah of Muhammad have now taken off their jalaba, their robes, have now shaved their beards, are now looking like Americans, emulating Americans, wearing suits and ties, etc., etc., having dogs in their house, not praying five times a day, and so many other things. Muhammad said we'd see that. We see the sign Kafir on them. You follow that? 
Then on the other hand, it says they'd have the righteous would have the name of the Father written on them. And that's because he also said in the Hadith, the Sunnah, that those who would take the best name to have is Abdullah or Amatullah. Abdullah, servants of Allah. Those who serve Allah prostrate to Allah. And they say, Allah only listens to those who praise Him, and to Him is due all gratitude. You follow? So the seventh seal mark is those who read all of the seven scriptures of the Most High, from the Sahuf down to the Injil, making no distinction between any of His scriptures and any of His prophets, and they receive the name of Allah on them, and the devil cannot penetrate them. The others receive the name of the beast because they honor and respect the beast and worship his ways. Those who have the mark of the father, the beast cannot get. They are referred to in the Quran as the mukhlisina, the purified ones. The Satan says he was going to get everybody in the mukhlisina, except for those mukhlisinas, except the purified. Those who do not receive the mark of the father will receive the mark of the beast. There's no Two ways about it. Either you worship the Heavenly Father or you will worship the devil. No man can serve two masters. There's no in between. We now have for your listening pleasure a complete set of the True Light tapes. There are now more than 24 hours of answers to the questions that have boggled the minds of humanity. For more than 20 years, the eminent master, Imam Isa, has answered all questions put before him, from skeptics to true believers. Jews, Christians, Muslims, all have increased the understanding of the words of the Most High by listening to the True Light. Where can I get the True Light tape? You can get the True Light from your local Ansar representative that you see dressed in white, or come down to the original tents of Kedar, 719 Bushwick Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. I still go to church. And I've asked my minister many questions from the True Light tape that he cannot answer. I've listened to Jimmy Swaggart and other ministers, but I find that Elimam Isa is the only one who can explain the book of Revelation. I've been a Jehovah Witness since I was a child, and I thought I had a monopoly on the truth. But I listened to the True Light tapes on the radio and have come to understand the truth about the life of Jesus. I listen to your broadcast every week. And as a result of the True Light Tapes, I am now a follower of Imam Isa. Yes, the True Light Tapes do make a difference. The True Light can change your life. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And now, let us return to our broadcast. Um, so that means we cannot have credit cards or anything dealing with that sort of situation at all. No, you can have a credit card. It doesn't mean you can't have a credit card because if you don't, it says right in here, if you don't, you know what you're going to do? You're going to die here. You see that? Because anybody who doesn't have it, watch what it reads in uh, 13. If I start reading at 15, it says, And he has power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that many as would not worship the image of the beast shall be killed. 
You see that? So if you stop using the number, you will not be able to go to a supermarket and buy it because they use the mark of the beast when you buy food. That thing you see on the, the back of the pack with the little lines and the numbers on it is the equation of 666 in the beast computer in Belgium. You ever see those things, the black lines? That is the mark. And it tells us right there, if you don't, you'll die. And number 16 says, and he calls all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their forehead. So people are already marked. You see that? It's where your loyalty lies. You have to exchange food and clothes and shelter in this country to survive. You didn't do what John said that Jesus said. Come out of her. This is in Revelation chapter 18. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her iniquities. You didn't. You stayed in the city of Babylon. You follow? We should have left the city of Babylon, went home, built farms, and took care of ourselves so we would not have to depend on her for survival. But now you are trapped here, and you have to depend on her for survival. So it's best for you to become as secure as possible economically. It's not a disadvantage for a Muslim to be wealthy. It's an advantage for a Muslim to be wealthy. You know why? Because it shows that he's Worshiping Allah because he wants to, not because he has no choice. That's what Elijah Muhammad was trying to convey when he was saying that they should try to have to do for themselves. It's a sign. Poor people do cling towards religion. The same way sick people turn, once they get to the hospital, then they turn back to the Heavenly Father and start praying. As long as they're healthy, they forget all about them. When people got money in their pockets, they ain't got no time for the Heavenly Father. But if you're a multi-millionaire and still stop and pray five times a day, and you have enough to give. See, Allah expected us to have, otherwise he wouldn't enjoin on us charity. If he enjoined on Muslims to give charity, he expected us to be the rich. <laughs> he knew that we would have the oil. Our problem is we're not in back in our land. Oil comes from heaven. It doesn't come from earth. Nature created that oil. If the Almighty thought that the Christian that oil over there in Rome, not in Arabia, they put the oil in Arabia because it was time for the whole world to be exposed to El-Islam. Even though the people over there, the so-called Arabs, are perverting it, misusing it, they're still now the whole world has been exposed to El-Islam. When people see you in the headpiece in America, they immediately know what you are. This did not happen before that happened over there. You see, Muslims are not supposed to be poor. They're not supposed to be doing bad and call it humbleness. Those are things that poor people wrote. Muslims are supposed to be doing good. So that they can afford to give to the people that are doing bad. <laughs> That's why zakat is enjoined on us. Fadlaka is enjoined on us. You follow? When you say that, people say that you say Muslims are supposed to be materialists. Not as long as he's given of what he got, then he can't be a materialist. Because everything he doesn't need, he gives to somebody else. He shares. He because it says in the Quran, give of the things of which we have given you freely. Right? It's through the Bakra. He offers, he's constantly giving. You see what I'm saying? So we have all been touched by it, but it's whether or not you're ready to come out of it. Whether or not to give it up and turn in and give your whole self to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And follow that sunnah to the letter. People say they do, but they don't want to do it. They don't want to follow the practices of the Prophet. They just say they like the word. I like saying this, but they don't want to do it. And so Allah says, we're not Sunni. We follow the Sunnah. We don't say we're Sunni. That's just a nice title. I'm a Sunni. I'm a Shia. I'm a Ahmadiyya. People like all that stuff. Stop saying what we are and do it. Live it. So that way we overcome the beast. Otherwise, he'll overcome us. And he is winning as it stands now.
The devil is ruling this world as it stands now. He's winning more people over to it. He believes in, in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam together. Daily. What they do, they get born into his ways. We got to convert them to ours. That makes the battle, that makes the battle almost half lost before we start. He's born and raises them Christians in a blind state. We got to try to convert them to Islam and light. Okay? Assalamu alaikum. Um, I would like to know, could you explain who the Mahdi is? The Mahdi? Yes. As you know, like, every time a prophet comes, after that prophet, men distort their teachings. For instance, after Jesus, Paul went and distorted his teachings, but a man named Barnabas kept a record called the Book of Barnabas. So he was more like a Mahdi to... Jesus, okay? And Joshua was to Moses, and Elysia was to Ibrahim. All right, now, the prophet Muhammad, I'm quite sure you know who he is. He foretold that uh, after him, from his bloodline, in the 1300s of the A.H. calendar, which is the Hijra calendar of Islam, the lunar, that a man would rise up, as a guide, to guide people back to righteousness. He described them as having a gap between his teeth, a mole on his right cheek, a high forehead, and where he'd be born. He said, his mother's name will be the same as my mother, and his father's name will be the same as my father. Now, why do you think he did that? Because he knew the opportunist would seize that to pop up a couple of years ago. I'm the Mahdi. He made it so impossible for anybody to claim it without the aid of nature. Okay? What happened is, after the Prophet Muhammad, the red Arab took control of Islam and suppressed the black Arab, which was his relative. All right? And those Arab from his other wife, Aisha, Abu Bakrim, they suppressed the black Arab and took control of the Khalifaship, the successorship. So by the time the Mahdi was born, they thought they had already liquidated that part of the family because there was what they called the Abbasid dynasty, which is the Prophet Muhammad's uncle. And they chased the Fatimites, which is the Prophet Muhammad's daughter, out of Arabia and up into Egypt, and then down into a place called Dongola or Donagla in Sudan. And they both settled there. The Abbasids became known as the Khadmiya sect in Sudan, and the the Fatimites became known as Dongolawe or the Mahdiya because in that spot, a place called Lebuk in Sudan, a boy just happened to be born to a boat builder and the Prophet Muhammad's father's name was Abdullah and his Prophet Muhammad's mother's name was Amina and the coincidence was that this boy, right, his father's name was Abdullah and his mother's name was Amina. Father and them named him Muhammad Right? Because his father's name was Ahmed Abdullah. So here he ends up with three of the prophecies already without knowing it. This little boy. His mother came from one province of Sudan. The father came from another. They didn't live in the same village, so they couldn't have planned it. And they gave birth to a son, and they named him Muhammad, which is the same name as the prophet. So two things are covered. His mother's the same and the father's same. But that's easy to do. But to put a mole on his right cheek, to put a gap between his teeth, that's not easy to do. 
But anyway, as the boy grew up, they began to notice when his teeth came that he had a gap between his teeth. And they noticed this black mole on his right cheek. You see this? This was in 1845 when he was born. That's him above you on the wall. Okay? Now what happened is that another whole big, big, juicy problem. You know what it was? His freckles were too close. They thought he was going to be a pale Adam. They never thought he was going to be, look like that man behind you on the wall. So the Arab world at the time was being governed by the pale Adam. They ruled it. And it wasn't about to bow down to him the same way Iblis was not about to bow down to Adam. So they opposed him. They tried to do it verbally, but he was too eloquent. Follow that in the scriptures. And he had the power of miracles. He was able to make things happen that they couldn't understand. Like they sent a whole bunch of shiuch, which is elders, from different groups to come to the village where he was at to debate with him. And on the way, all they saw was on every leaf was his name written. As they were traveling towards him, they saw Muhammad Ahmed is the Mahdi. <laughs> on the leaf. Right? People to this very day have collected these leaves, older people, and I've seen it with my own eyes. They have them. All right? This frightened them. They sent a man from England named Pasha, Gordon Pasha. And he was supposed to crush the Mahdi, who was a simple boat builder with a sophisticated British army. They failed. I mean, they really, really failed. Britain was so upset, the Queen of England had a nervous breakdown because of this one man. This is the truth. This is in history. You can look it up. That's what the poems of, of Hicks that they teach in college is about. The poem of Hicks is about him. Kissinger. Not just Kissinger here. Another Kissinger. So what happened is prophecy fulfilled itself in Sudan. Your homeland. That this man was born who was going to revive Islam. Bring it back. Abraham and Jesus and Moses' religion. Bring it back to the way they practiced it, not the way men had distorted it during and after the time of the Prophet Muhammad and made a new religion called Muhammadism. That's not what he was doing. He was bringing them back to Jesus, Moses, Abraham, and all the other prophets. You follow? But of course, he was opposed. He succeeded in planting a powerful seed. He had many sons and daughters. Some of them became very powerful religious men, and his sons, 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 have manifest here in the West to teach you what he was teaching. Meanwhile, it's rising again in the East. So they suppressed it for a hundred years, and here it comes again. It's bringing it up. Okay? That's who he was. He was, the word Mahdi means one who is a guide. And he was the one that Rasulullah Muhammad predicted would come after him. No one can alter the prophecies of how he looked, no matter how they tried. Many men have come along and said they were the Mahdi, but none of them had the mole, the gap, every description that the Prophet Muhammad gave. All right? The only reason why the so-called Sunnis don't recognize them is because they love white people. That's the real deal. When you talk to them, if he was a Pakistani, like Ghulam Ahmed from Pakistan, they'd follow him anywhere. If he was from Afghanistan, they'd follow But they can't follow their own. Black people refuse to respect their own people. Someone came here from Senegal. I had a, a sheikh visit me from Senegal. You see, see? I invited the Sunnis. They don't come. I had some guy come from Egypt, they all came. The chef came from Senegal, a brother, and lectured in Arabic and everything. They didn't show up. You know what I'm saying? But I invited some 
Perah from Egypt, they're all here. Ahmed Didat from South Africa comes. They gather around him like flies. Brothers come from Nigeria who are scholars. They don't recognize him. Brothers come from Sudan. They don't recognize him. My question is, why don't we recognize our own people? Elijah Muhammad said this, that God came to him as a man, right? Taught him for three and a half years, right? Then left and said he's going to come back. Everybody said he was crazy because of that statement. But Christians say God came down as a man, taught for three and a half years, left and said he's going to come back, and it's the biggest religion in the world. <laughs> Two separate standards. Why? Because Elijah Muhammad was a black man saying it, so it just makes a big difference. You understand what I'm saying? It's sad. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, this is for Misa. Are you still there? <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to know, okay, the book of Revelations, you say, was uh, handed down in Arabic, correct? And uh, I'd like to know, uh, it says here in uh, chapter 9-11, it says, And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abadim. But in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. I like to know what is his name in the Arabic language? Iblis. Iblis. Okay. And now, here's a trick. I'm glad you pointed that out. Because, yes, we do say the book of Revelation was revealed in the Arabic language. All right? Yeah. And this very quote is what confirms it. Because this quote tells you that this book was definitely not in Hebrew. And it was not in Greek. The two languages that they say. Why? Read what you say. Hebrew tongue of Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, the name is Apollyon. It's Abaddon in Hebrew, and it's Apollyon in Greek. So if a person is writing a book in Hebrew, would he have to give you the Hebrew definition? Uh, no. If he's writing a book in Greek, would he have to give you the Greek definition? See, they always make a mistake in their little lives. <laughs> yes. So that tells you that this book had to use a Hebrew dictionary and a Greek dictionary to define the name of the devil. So it was not in Hebrew and not in Greek. Yeah. And the other languages they speak of in the books of Acts, when they speak about them speaking in tongues and translation, is the Arabian tongue. One of the languages that they spoke was Hebrew, the language of Galatians, and then they spoke of Syretic, and they speak of the Arabian tongue. You follow? Yes. Uh, could you also explain uh, chapter 7 where it says the uh, 12 tribes of Israel that where the 144,000 are raised? How does it go back to the 12 tribes of uh, Israel? Or Perfectly. When you start off in Revelation chapter 7, and after these things, that means a certain amount of events that took place. What is the first line of Revelation chapter 6? Yeah. And I saw yeah, when the Lamb had oh. opened the seals. Yes. And I heard, as it were, the noise of the thunder and of the four beasts, right? Yes. Saying, come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him, what? Had a bowl and a crown. They're talking about the calamities all the way up to the death. They're talking about after the Messiah had returned way back here in number six. But now let's go on up to seven and see what happens after those things. Because if you go all the way down and start, let's say, 15 of 6, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the tents, 
and in the rocks and in the mountains. This is the my judgment day again, correct? Yeah. And said to the mountains and the rocks, fall upon us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. All right? Then the last verse is what? For, the great For that great day of his wrath. wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Now, number six takes us all the way to the end. Number six is working with 18, 19, and 20 of Revelation. So now watch what seven says. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds. He went all the way up past Jesus and in the latter day now. All right, what they do? The four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, if you went to chapter 9, verse 4, it'll support it. Now, these four angels represented the end of the world. And the Lord is going to hold it back. Now, remember, this is after the Lamb came. Correct? Yeah. So this can't be the Israel of old who had lost their covenant. This couldn't be the original tribe of Israel who he wiped out except for a remnant of Judah. Because they're already gone. This is already after it. And Jesus came to his own and his own what? Received him not. He said, I did not come but to the Lord's sheep of the house of Israel only. So he was looking for Judah. And he said, Judah scattered themselves throughout the world. Israel. So this was after the other tribes were already gone except Judah and Dan. What does it go on to say? And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, which is the six-pointed star in the crescent that was sighted in the year 1970. When they came together. Elijah Muhammad spoke about it. All of them spoke about when the crescent and the star coming together. And it did. Okay, what happened? And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. He called out this angel, Mikhail, in 1970 and told the angels, hold back the wind. Don't destroy the world yet. Why? Go ahead. Say, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants, Abdullah, of our God in their foreheads. Now, Muslims are the only ones getting a seal on their foreheads who are servants of Allah. When we call ourselves Abdullah, we say we are servants of Allah, all Muslims. And by prostration, they get the mark on their forehead by consequence of prostration. Then the other ones get the mark of the beast in their palm of their hand on their foreheads. But these are not talking about the mark of the beast. This is talking about the mark of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for righteousness. Because it calls them the servants, right? Yeah. This is in the latter day, after 1970. Go ahead. Four. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And what? And there were sealed 144,000 of all the, all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now watch how they start off. Of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Why they pick Judah first? The last one. Because that's the one tribe that Jesus was coming for. I did not come unto the Lord's sheep of the house of Israel only. I am of Judah, the lion's wealth, etc., etc., etc. Judas was not the first son of Jacob. Judas was the fourth son of Jacob. Why didn't they start with the first son and come on down like they do in the books of Genesis? Because this is not talking to the old tribe of Israel. This is a stereotype of Israel. And they're also going to leave out certain names. 
that are of the original tribe and add in Ephraim and Manasseh. They're going to add names that wasn't even there. Because remember, Joseph went to Egypt and married Egyptian women and had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And their name is going to end up in here. And they wasn't even there when Jacob gave the covenant to Israel about Judah and the Shiloh. They had nothing to do with it. Go ahead. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Aser was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi. And Levi was not one of the tribes. He was one of the sons, but it was considered the priesthood. And was not classified as tribes, so they shouldn't be here. The priesthood of Aaron was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar was sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun was sealed 12,000. What else? Of the tribe of Joseph. Joseph was not a tribe. Joseph is the one who went down and lived in Egypt. When all the other tribes were living in the land of Canaan, and they had to come to Egypt for the famine. He wasn't even a tribe. How can Joseph be there and his son? And of the tribe of Benjamin was sealed 12,000. Now watch. After this happened, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. Of all the nations and kindreds of people, and all the tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white and palm leaves. If they are the tribe of Israel, and they see that, why are they wearing just the opposite color instead of white robes? Because this is a stereotype of Israel. And Revelation 5, 9 and verse 14 will be iterated. Go to Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. That's the seals we're talking about. Well, who are they? Let's go back and see. Number five. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in the heavens nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, what? Neither the seal thereof. This is not Revelation. This is in Revelation. <laughs> this can't be the book of Revelation they're talking about because it's in it. And I wept much, John said, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look therein. And one of the elders said unto me, Ask the Christians who are the elders. They don't even speak about the elders, the masters. They don't even know about them. But the Bible speaks about the elders. The Quran calls them the awalina, the first ones, the ancient ones. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold what? Lion of the, tribe. the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He had won. He did not die. He did not get crucified. He had prevailed. Jesus prevails to do what? To open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. All of it links. Then it goes right back down. To that, As I told you, if you went through that whole chapter, you see the whole story of Jesus unmasked. All of these scriptures are talking about a kind of Israel. 
They're not talking about the tribe of Israel who had lost their covenant. They're talking about when Jesus came and he came to Israelites to save the tribe of Judah and they rejected him and persecuted him and scorned him and spat on him and betrayed him and delivered him up. And he also separated them from the other ones. He said, I know the blasphemy of them who call themselves Jews and are not. They are the synagogues of Satan. Their bodies are temples in which Satan lives. You understand? Yeah. So when you go to the name of all the 12 tribes and you compare them back to Genesis, you'll begin to see how this could not be talking about them. This is in the future. It'll go on. It says, number nine. After this, I beheld in law a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, not of all the nation of Israel, of all nations. Why? Because it tells you in Acts that his people were scattered throughout the world speaking all kind of tongues. In that room right there, you have Spanish, English, you have different languages that the real tribe of Israel is now speaking. If you went to Germany, you'll find black people there speaking German. If you went to Korea, you'll find black people there speaking Korean. The tribe of Judah, the original seed, is scattered throughout the world. We must be gathered or come hither again, it says. Because the iniquities of the Amorites are not yet filled. We must regather, re-speak our language, like Isaiah 52 says. Put back on our garbs of righteousness, our pure garb, the garb of the bride. Prepare ourselves for the wedding. The wedding is symbolic in the scripture of the coming. If you read Matthew 22, you see the whole symbolism of the coming of the new city of Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 22 is matching right up with Revelation 21, 22. When the wedding is prepared, how will they be dressed? It says in the bride's room, white veils, white dresses, and long white robes. Preparing themselves as the 144,000 are prepared. And you have to be raised first so that you can give birth to the children who are pure, virgins, who have not been mixed or diluted or touched by the hands of saints. You have to give birth to them. Why are you wobbling around the streets, messing around in copper clothes and dreads and African garments and all kinds of things that are paganistic that you want to call culture because you're starving for your culture. You're letting your real culture pass you by. I remember being told throughout the years that there was part of the Bible missing. <laughs> that part of the Bible was missing. I would like to know if part of the Bible is missing, what part is missing, and when was it discovered, and is there any proof that there's part of this Bible that's missing? If you have a pencil and paper, I'll give you about four or five places in the Bible where they mention books that if you look in the index, you won't find. Okay? They have their names. If someone, maybe somebody will write it down for you. All right? Okay. If, uh, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. If you look in the books of Numbers 21:14, can somebody read that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wherefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, what he did in the Red Sea. And Here we got mention of a book of the war, the book of war. And if you look throughout your index, you won't find a book in the Bible called the book of war. All right? But yet it's mentioned in the Bible. If we go to, I'm just going to touch them shortly so you can run right through them. If we go to Exodus 24, 7. And he took the book of the covenant. The book of the covenant is mentioned. And that's not in here anywhere. And then book of Kings 2, 22, 8. Also mentioned in the book of law. While you're looking for that one, you can turn to Joshua 10, 13. Nevertheless, he saved, he saved them for his namesake, 
that he might make his, his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as though the wilderness, as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. All of these are related to Numbers 21, 14, about that book of wars. Samuel 2, I told you about 18. Exodus 17, 14, 16. Joshua 10, 13. Go to that one. Okay. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jashir? That's a book called Jashir in the Bible that they don't have in an index. Then if you go to the book of Chronicles, the 12th chapter, the 15th verse, they're going to speak of another book called... Shemaria. Now the acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of the Shemala, the prophet? Shemaria, the prophet. So here's a bunch of books mentioned by name in the Bible that if you turn to the index of any of your Bibles, you won't find these books. The question is, where are they? And what did they say that we need to know? Or why were they taken out? You see what I'm saying? But they're right in the Bible. A whole bunch of names. I just gave them. There's more. I'm just going to stop. There's bunches of books mentioned that you will not find in your King James Bible or in your St. Jerome's or your Catholic Bible. They just took them out. And they lost them, they think. Okay? One day I'll explain to you all in a book called Art of Scriptures Tampering Book where these books are and what they contained. All right? But, but for the time being, it's a good question for you all to put on the other people as to where are they. Because they tell you the Bible is complete. I heard a minister tell somebody the Bible was totally complete. Okay? Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes? All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujadda, the reform, which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On WGAG Radio. 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 Radio.